we are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Stop Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Welcome to all our listeners. This is Sawtalk Radio. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Tonight we have no, it's not. <laughs> Jason Martin. Thank you, Jason. And my co-host, Joe Quinn. <laughs> hey, how's it going? All right. So it's been quite an eventful week. I'm sure certainly our listeners in the States are aware of that. Um, well, just about everybody around the world, I think. Yeah, I mean, who could not have noticed? With the global media... What happened? And the power exactly. and the reach that it has. Well, Jason is not to speed on it, but uh, <laughs> there's been a few things that have happened this past week, uh, Jason, um, <laughs> of note. Really? Yeah. Yeah, well, tax well, day. Did you pay your taxes? Did uh, did Benefer finally break up or something? Yeah, uh, no. Brangelini. <laughs> what? what, what, what? <laughs> I don't know. Br- Brangelina. 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 Sort of like an Italian painter. Uh, they broke up. No, carry on, Neil. Well... Okay, we're all aware, of course, of the Boston Marathon bombings. Um, it, it's strange, you know, You know, terror, terror, terror. That's all we've heard since 9-11. But actually, that was the first terrorist attack since that day. So that's 11 years. On American soil. So to speak, yeah. The first, <laughs> re, first real, in inverted commas, terrorist attack. Yeah, and they've certainly played it up in the media, um, <clears throat> hyped it. To uh, to an extreme level about it being the first terror attack, and I mean I've been watching some uh, quite a few mainstream media reports and just the way that the that the anchors uh, talk about um, talk about the actual the bombing and and, uh, and the way they portray it. You know, it's there's a whole essence of of you know secure beneath the watchful eyes, and you all can sleep better tonight, you all can sleep safe tonight now that our authorities have taken care of the situation. You know, anchors have been saying some really cheesy crass stuff like that, you know, that really yeah. makes you cringe, you know, yeah. and plays it up, you know, when in fact, given the state of the world today, it's a fairly, it was a relatively small event. It was terrible because it was Americans. There's a sense that it was more terrible uh, because it was a bombing in America well, everyone than anywhere else. That white people count more than brown people. Love your mic there, Jay. Love, love my mic? Love yeah. that means... Yeah. 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 Licking it. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows what? Well, everyone knows that, you know, white life is more important than, than brown life, you know. Yeah, but... That's, that's the American philosophy, mm. you know. Oh, but it isn't, right? One God, one uh, one nation equal under God. Have you ever met a white person? <laughs> Have you ever met white people in general? I mean, white Americans and middle class Americans, they are just... They are terrible. They're sanctimonious. You know? I, there, there's like this, this whole thing, like you know, millions of people die constantly from things that are preventable, and yet nobody sheds a tear, uh, unless, of course, they're white and middle class, and you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and killed in, in, in suspicious circumstances, you know, in circumstances that normally you wouldn't. You normally, when you're walking down the streets of Boston, you don't think about encountering some sort of anti-personnel bomb, you know? Yeah, exactly. So but, it's the shock value. It's the way that Americans have been. Uh, Kind of sheltered and isolated from um, 
from any idea of it's always over there and it's us doing it to them because we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. It never happens here. It should never happen here. If it happens here, it's an outrage. It's a travesty. Uh, it just shouldn't happen to Americans, and that's what that's well, why it's hyped up. That's the whole thing. It shouldn't happen to white Americans, type of thing. Because mm-hmm. you got to remember, like the U.S. is not <laughs> is not all that safe and not all that great. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, the poorer communities of America deal with with violent deaths and various different things, shootings, drive-bys, the drug war, quote unquote, no yeah. more drugs. So, I mean, like, again, you know, this whole thing about, like, this doesn't happen in America. It's like, yeah, I mean, normally bombs don't go off in America, but lots of people die for reasons that they shouldn't. Yeah, there's lots of senseless deaths. There's lots of senseless death in America. And indiscriminate. Yeah, indiscriminately. I mean. Uh, so we're dealing with the same case here in the, in the Boston Marathon bombing. What is the difference then? It, uh, it must be the way that it was portrayed in the media. Because if the media portrayed other indiscriminate killings in the U.S. that happen pretty much every day in the same way. Right. Well, they couldn't really, I suppose, because I mean, they could, they could if they if they had a track record of doing it, but they don't have a track record of doing it. They just don't report on it. You know, you know, four or five people get shot in a <coughs> in, in a drive-by shooting or something like that. That's more people than were killed. Yeah. In well, the Boston bombing, but it's not hyped up. It's not an affront to our democratic values. It's 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 just life in America. But the Boston bombing is an affront. To our democratic values, and, uh, and it's an attack on every American. Well, it's, an, it's, a, it's a very auspicious place for it to take place. Like I was talking to Neil at one point that you know, I mean, the Northeast of America is kind of like the rich America. It's the original kind of like you know, colonies type of thing. It's sort of the seat of of uh, rich upper middle class republicanism or uh-huh. passes for it these days. And so it was a it was a very interesting place for them to choose for this. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. striking at the heart of white America, white was, yeah, well, sanctimonious white, America, white sanctimonious, self righteous voting America mainly. You yeah, know? I mean believers. Yeah, the the true believers in the American the dream government. and the government. Well, yeah, the people who benefit from the, you know, in a certain sense, right. factory owners. That, well, that, that's something we'll, we'll want to bring up with the, the location. I mean, Boston. I was looking, you know, all, all these things happening this week, anniversaries of this and that. Okay, we had 20th anniversary of the Waco massacre, 18th anniversary of Oklahoma City bombing. But going way back in history, the Boston bombings happened the same day, the 15th, that the opening shots in the American Revolutionary War were fired. Not far from Boston, I believe. I don't know. Concord. You're talking to an American here. <laughs> you don't know. You're asking me a question about history was, and geography was, at the same time. <laughs> you insane. It was the original colonies, you know. Uh, it was and one of those states. It whatever. just got me thinking about that. During, although it's all been wrapped up now, and uh, you know, America's once again safe under the watchful eyes. By the time when we scheduled the show, there was it was like everything was in suspense. They had not wheeled out the Osama bin next. They had not uh, gone too overboard, I didn't think. Um, there, were like, there was like a three-day period where they had no leads. They I, had arrested someone but released them. No charges made. And I was thinking, well, what's going on here? It, are they going to blame it on homegrown, white, patriot, crazy people? Or will it be, once again, dirty foreign Muslims? Well, I mean, the key there is foreign, I think. You know, I mean, foreigners, Muslim, specifically, I mean, it's always going to be like foreigners or, you know, uh, gun nuts, you know, foreigners, gun nuts, conspiracies, the, the sort of the usual sucks are that they've created, you know, they just sort of have like a, 
<clears throat> I think they actually have a computer program. Kind of like, you know, the L. Ron Hubbard one that wrote that Field Earth thing. They have like a computer program where it's just like, it's got like graphic icons. And they're like, hmm, let's pick a terrorist attack. And then they like pick a random location. And then they have like these big icons of like really sort of stereotypical like gun nut, Muslim, immigrant. And they just sort of like pick it. It's like out of idiocracy or something. It generates a fake terrorist That may not be far from the truth. I mean, Al-Qaeda was the database. Yeah. Of expendable patsies, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. And as we'll see, um, these two brothers were not just any old random. They have a history, a history with the FBI, a history with alleged Ooh, links to around? radical Islam. In other words, they have a kind of a, cre- a created history. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, we'll be talking about the Boston bombings. Um, if you're in... Oh, yeah, that's another thing. Friday. What the hell happened in Boston? Because if that wasn't martial law, I don't know what is. Yeah. The whole city locked down, mm-hmm. as in you can't leave your home. Mm-hmm. And people obeyed it in their hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're starting to see some people have managed to get video footage uh, up on YouTube of, of houses being raided, people being marched, marched out yeah. one by one, hands in the air, put your hands up, Yeah, you know. Totally confused. Don't know what's going well, on. Well, if there's anybody in Boston listening, yeah. then uh, we'd appreciate a call in to see if you can verify that. We've just seen one video of um, a guy in the area, I think, in the Watertown, right? Yeah, Watertown, suburb. Watertown area of Boston, uh, who was filming from his house, filming another house uh, with these jackbooted thugs coming in, banging on the door. Uh, eventually, someone opened the door, they all march in, and then a stream of people eventually, one one after the other, as they found them in the house, people were, those men and women, uh, were, were forced out, uh, hands in the air. Uh, we don't know if that was, what I did find a bit strange about it was that it was almost like a, it was like a clown house, you know, like a clown car, but it was a clown house. <laughs> people just kept coming out. There must have been about like eight of them in total. Yeah, you know? I wondered. There was at least one woman came out, but they were all, most of them were adult males. Yeah. And they just, every, you know, every 30 seconds, another one would come out with a hands in the air, you know. And um, the, it was presented on YouTube by the guy who filmed it as, you know, this was not, uh, this was essentially a warrantless search. This was not, uh, people weren't, uh, <laughs> people hadn't agreed to this kind of a search. You well, know what I mean? It wasn't people saying, yeah, come in, Jack Booth, wow. have a look around my house. So I don't know if that happened in a lot of houses or whether they were more polite with other houses. Maybe that was a drug house or something like that. Who knows? I don't know. But probably not in Boston, right? Not area of Boston. So it's all pretty affluent. The days of warrants are, are slowly and are quickly, you know, going away. Not slowly, quickly. You know, the days of, of warrants and, and legal yeah, search. Yeah, well, they're gone already. Yeah. It's pretty much gone, you know. I mean, yeah. So, but people welcomed it with open arms, really, I think. Uh, because it wasn't, it wasn't sense, ha- hurting or happening to them, you know. I mean, those yeah. type of people who, who accept that kind of stuff, it's because, I mean, in a, in, a, in a certain sense, they probably don't have anything in their lives that any any other person would be interested in mm-hmm. like for good or bad you know i mean so they yeah. don't care i mean no one's ever going to raid their house and kill them because they they're not doing anything not worthy of that anything, yeah. you know they're living they're not a communist homosexual or something like that so you know or they're living they're living middle class, completely mediocre middle class lives of quiet desperation yeah um yeah this was like terror attainment yeah, and something happened. Cool, dude. Check this out. All of them came out afterwards. I mean, they were. I don't know if you're aware of this, Jason, but they were marching. They all came out and paraded in the streets. 
I cheering, that. shouting, USA, well, USA. I've, yeah. The thing is, is it's going to be a utopia for those people. I mean, truly and completely. For those people, it will be a complete, what the, an absolute totalitarian state will be a utopia because it'll be like every once in a while the government will need to bring out a terrorist attack so it'll kill you know a couple of them. But from their perspective, it's a small sacrifice, a small price to pay. You know. Yeah, it does seem that way. There's certain percentages of public. It's probably pretty well split down the middle. You know, maybe not split down the middle, but it's divided up into certain sections. You know, you have these groups of uh, fanatics who are just like, oh my God, they're they're ecstatic at the uh, just the idea that the police are are paying uh, attention are, to them. Well, that they're after after a terrorist suspect in their neighborhood, and you know they get the whole kick out of being afraid, <laughs> hunker down, afraid, stay in your house, and then it's like, yeah, we got them, and then they're out in the street. Banging on cop cars and shaking swap like team members' hands. Sports fans. It's the same concept. Well, actually, the, the the video yeah. of it was exactly like yeah. the videos you see of people whose team has won uh, a major yeah. competition I mean, or something. They're the out. American team. You know? Boom. Yeah. And uh, it's, it was scary, but I'm sure there were other people who were a bit disturbed by the whole thing. Yeah, but I mean, they're not going to say anything. And aren't going to do backflips afterwards, you know what I mean? But if you were in the area... Call us, uh, send us a comment, let us know. Yeah, yeah share your thoughts well, there. Really. If you know anybody in the area, if you have any reports, you don't necessarily have to have to live there. If you simply know someone, have a friend, a family member, or whatever, who has any uh, on the ground information, we'd we'd appreciate it. You know. But what really struck me was in seeing those images of the people uh, whooping and cheering at essentially the death, at the the murder of more or less the murder of two people. Uh, in, in, in their neighborhood, yeah, yet, yeah, know. they were, yeah, and they actually haven't presented any evidence that they were, and they never will. That they're guilty. Well, one of them's dead, and the other one's probably soon to be. So, yeah. what's struck me? Hang himself in a cell or something stupid like that. Yeah. You know? So those people <laughs> whooping it up, loving it. It was really striking. I don't know if many Americans are aware of that. Certainly, those people aren't aware of it. But a very similar event happened in France last year, which was the Mohamed Marat incident, where supposedly this young, interesting enough, around the same age, 21 years old, uh, French guy of Algerian extraction, but he was French, was accused of shooting dead three um, police, or three army, three soldiers, and then three other members of a, of a at a Jewish school. Yeah, in Toulouse. In Toulouse. And um, the, uh, there was a hunt for him. It lasted most of a week. And eventually he was cornered in his flat. And uh, it was all over the news for the whole week. And he was cornered in his flat. And then cornered in his flat. And there was a, a shootout, very similar to what we're hearing about these Boston guys, the, the Chechen brothers. And, you know, he died in the hail of bullets. It was... There was a lot of suspicious and unbelievable aspects to that story as well. But what was interesting was that there was no fanfare afterwards. Maybe this is just an aspect of French people, I don't know, but there was no parades in the streets of the, the people. Is, as, I, as I recall, he was killed in an area that um, was very predominantly Muslim. I don't think that... I don't know, but would you, you would think, I mean, this was all over Boston, they were out in the streets, you know what I mean? So there just wasn't the same sense of... And I mean, it's quite particular to, to Americans where they would have, any number of Americans would have that kind of a reaction, you know? In terms of the psychology of the real blue-blooded, I, I don't red-blooded that, American, you know, um, I, I don't think that the French, the French are a little bit too joyless. Yeah, to to go out in the streets and celebrate. I mean, you know, they they kind of have no no soul. Whereas Americans, they're mean-spirited, but the second part of mean-spirited is still having a spirit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, 
Whereas the sin. But in this case, it's not exactly a positive. Oh no, no, no. it's certainly not positive. Example of it. Yeah. Anyway, just I mean, getting into the story, as most people listening probably are aware, um, there were two bombings. Two bombs went off. The end, pretty much at the end of the Boston Marathon on Monday, um, killed three people, injured over 100, 160. Maybe it's it's quite high in terms of injuries, but there are various types of injuries. Yeah. And uh, for a couple of days, there was no no real definite leads. A couple of Saudis were implicated, and they were they were left. They were de-implicated, and one of them flew home, um, and then suddenly. Two Chechen brothers, 19 years old and 26 years old, both of them, one of them a naturalized American, the other one with a green card. <coughs> uh, same situation as almost every other uh, terror-type plot or attack. The accused, the family members of the accused and the friends of the accused just couldn't believe it. How could they ever do that? There's no way I would have ever thought that that guy would ever do that. That same kind of thing. People just amazed. And even the guys themselves showing, especially the younger brother, showing an amazing ability to be cool under pressure. He's only 19 years old. And um, after the bombing, because it was, it was on Monday and it wasn't until Thursday, really, that they went after them. So in those days, he went back, those inter- intervening days, he went back to his classes at, at college at the University of Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, there's reports of his classmates and stuff saying, yeah, he was just totally cool. He went, up, he went out drinking with some people. He was didn't being I totally hear, cool and had made no reference to it whatsoever, you know. Did, didn't I hear a similar thing with, like, uh, Harvey Oswald? Didn't he go to, like, a theater afterward or something? Who was? I think uh, well, Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald was on the run. Was he right afterward? Yeah. yeah. I think it's because he realized he might be yeah. set might up. and double-crossed. I, it looked like these, these guys but had he did no go to the cinema. set up. Lee Harvey also wanted to cinema. hide, maybe. You know? He might have been ducking down, or maybe not, you know, but... Well, we we just watched that Oklahoma City bombing thing, mm-hmm. remember? And um, I remember at the end of it, I kind of got the feeling that um, Timothy McVeigh was definitely set up, mm-hmm. but it couldn't have happened to a better douchebag, so... Yeah. I mean, this is the same kind of... I mean, if they were working with the FBI, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in, like, West Florida during the 90s, you know, with Tupac, I mean, to me, somebody who's working for the FBI and then gets set up by the FBI, I mean, it's poetic justice, you know? Yeah. But, well, it's, I mean, not as clear-cut as that because there are people who work for the FBI. The way it has worked with these previous uh, terror plots, and there have literally been dozens of them in the past 10 years, mm-hmm. dozens of oiled terror plots mm-hmm. that any of them could have, been, could have ended in the same way the Boston Marathon one did. The Boston Marathon simply was different in the sense that a bomb actually went off. But all of these other terror plots involved usually young or young and or intellectually challenged, poor, very often black or uh, foreign of foreign extraction U.S. nationals who had been contacted by not the FBI themselves, but an FBI informant. This is another guy. This is the real douchebag in the, in the situation. The, the, the ones who are who, who do jail time, they're the the dupes. Yeah. Uh, they can be douchebags as well, right. but the real douchebags are the guy in the middle who is working for the FBI, 
he's often like a petty criminal who's given time off for working for the FBI. For being a snitch. Yeah, for being a snitch. And he goes and he he contacts these guys under the pretenses that he is whatever Al Qaeda, just whatever whatever they want to do, the 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 Apaches want or into. He'll kind of tell them that he's into that too, and uh, he's doing it for money. So he wants to get a conviction out of these guys. He wants to frame these guys for the FBI because the FBI is paying him to do it. Right. So he's motivated to do it. And um, that's what's happened uh, in virtually every single one in the past. And, and the context is all important. I think for people to understand this, to get a general understanding and a truthful understanding of the Boston bombing, they need to understand uh, the context of all of these previous terror plots, you know. Um, I'll just give you a rundown of a few of them over the past few years, but as I said, there have been dozens and they've all been more or less carbon copies of each other, except for the finer details, you know. Um, in 2006, a guy called Derek Sharif, who was 22, and desperate for cash to fix his car, was approached by an informant at a video game store. This is what we're dealing with. Okay. Uh, and he, um, the informant was a career com- a career criminal, and he offered uh, Sharif a vehicle, a place to live, and free meals at his house. And it was the day before Ramadan, and Sharif, who'd been on the outs with his family since converting to Islam at age 15, saw the offer as an act of God. Weeks later, he told the informant he wanted to attack a courthouse and smoke a judge. The informant su- suggested attacking a shopping mall instead at Christmas. Sharif excitedly agreed, since he was still broke. And he traded with an arms dealer uh, a set of his speakers for some grenades and a 9mm handgun. And his, you know, the arms dealer was an FBI informant. Uh, So as soon as they traded and they got some recordings of him saying, yeah, you know, shopping mall Christmas, yeah, just keep the money coming. Uh, He, uh, the FBI swoops and boom, you know, uh, 35 years in jail for attempted use of a weapon of mass destruction. Grenade. A grenade. Okay. Uh, case study 2005, Tariq Shah, who was an accomplished jazz jazz bassist. He actually played at Bill Clinton's inauguration. He was also a martial arts studio owner. He met uh, FBI informant Mohammed Al- Alansi through an Islamic bookstore in New York City. For two years, Alansi kept in contact with Shah but got nothing incriminating on him. Uh, so the FBI turned to a second informant, Theodore Shelby, who was an ex-convict and former Black Panther. He recorded conversations that just showed Shah as a man obsessed with his martial arts prowess and had a desire to train Muslims in martial arts. In one exchange, Shah talked about how he could use the sharp pin that his double base rested on to kill someone. Uh, I, and there's a direct quote of what he said here. He kind of told the FBI uh, informant, he said, pointing to his double bass pin at the bottom, saying, all I've got to do is pop, flick, like, boom. And then he's like, move out of the way. He says, look, flip, pop, bing, right in the middle of your head. <laughs> um, eventually, Shelby introduced him, this is the FBI informant, introduced him to an Arabic-speaking FBI agent who led Shah and a friend in an oath to Al-Qaeda. And the oath became a key piece of evidence in his conviction. He got 15 years for conspiring to provide material support to terrorists. This is me crying. 
uh, I could go on, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's so many of these, and they're all exactly the same. Um, there are also instances where there are groups, groups of guys. Maybe they loosely know each other. Maybe they're friends. Yeah. Well, there's one in 2011, just a couple of, couple of years ago. Uh, that was the um, the Newburgh Four. Um, sorry, 2009. The Newburgh Four. These were four guys arrested for an alleged plot to blow up a synagogue and military aircraft. They were all poor black Americans, and at least one was mentally unstable. He actually stored his urine in jars in his apartment. Oh, boy. The fifth member of the team was actually, surprise, surprise, an FBI informant who promised them food and hundreds of thousands of dollars to carry out the plot. Even the federal judge hearing this case said that the government created acts of terrorism out of the defendant's fantasies of bravado and bigotry and then made those fantasies come true. The government did not have to infiltrate and foil some nefarious plot because there was no nefarious plot to foil. Okay, what was the sentence? Those guys all got sentenced to somewhere between 15 and 25 years. In spite of the judge realizing that? In spite of the judge that. saying that. Oh, my God. Uh, and, you know, there's been, they've gone through the whole list. You know, there's been Moroccans, Yemenis, everything. Um, and not just well, Muslims and the whole no, war no. on terror stick. Well, they always try to pitch them as Muslim type of thing with some. They try and get them, you know, to have some kind of Muslim affiliation. They may not be actually religious Muslims but they may have some identification with the brothers. You know, it's almost like the, yeah. the modern-day Black Panther type thing where the brothers now are Muslims who are being oppressed by the evil U.S. And these people are all have some, are of some Middle Eastern or Pakistani or that area extraction. And that's, they, they identify, you know. And, uh, uh, but they're all intellectually challenged. These are all poor people who, who basically don't have the wherewithal to kind of... Um, they pick those guys on purpose so that eventually when they come up with somebody who, you know, they're actually just pinning something on out of whole cloth who isn't a retard and greedy, mm. uh, then people will be more likely to believe it because they're like, look at this other chain, you know, sort of like. Yeah. I mean, there was, a, there was one that I, I wrote an article on. Uh, it was a really outrageous <laughs> one called the Miami Terror Cell or the Liber- Liberty City 7. That was back in 2006. And this is a fairly deranged group of five and this is their own definition of themselves they were Christian Zionist Muslim martial art artists <laughs> and they called themselves the Sea of David because <laughs> they were also um, they were quietly living in a warehouse in Florida awaiting the fulfillment of biblical end times prophecy when one day an undercover FBI agent came along and offered them 50 grand initiated them into Al-Qaeda with an oath swearing provided them with military boots and a video camera and suggested that they wanted to blow up certain government buildings and the Sears Tower in Chicago. The leader of this group, uh, of this group of unlikely terrorists, uh, his, uh, his name is Narcisse Baptiste, or Baptiste, um, according to his father, needs psychiatric help and has done for a long time. Yeah. And even, ju- even Justice Department officials acknowledged the group did not have the means to carry out any kind of terror plan. But they went ahead and unveiled the arrests with an orchestrated series of news conferences in two cities. But the severity of the charges compared with the seemingly amateurish amateurish nature of the group raised concerns among civil libertarians, who noted that the group had no weapons, no explosives, and yet the government considers the arrests a, a case of a major announcement. The government actually said that, claimed that these, four, these guys were planning to wage a full scale ground war 
on America. They actually said that. Wow. With their um, new boots. With their new boots. Uh, planning to wage a full ground war against the United States. Yep. What does uh, that even mean? It, I don't what the know. hell does that even <laughs> mean? A full ground war? It, what, what, what is that? What is that bullshit? I mean, they get away with it, and, but they convicted them all, and they all went to jail for like somewhere between... One of them actually got the leader, the, 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 the guy who needs psychiatric help, got like 70 years or something like that. Um, there's been so many others. You know, there's the Christmas, Portland uh, Christmas tree car bomber. He was yeah. in 2010. Mm-hmm. He claimed his name was Muhammad Osman Muhammad. He's just a teenager. He was 19. He bragged to undercover agents that he could get a gun because he was a rapper. Uh, but they provided him with a with a with a car bomb. What they said was a car bomb. Just got him to get into it, drive it, park it beside the Christmas tree, and get out. And uh, and then swoop. And then that was it. Um, there was also, of course, the uh, the underwear bomber. Yeah. Uh, that the one. Infamous, is the infamous funny? underwear bomber. That one was. Uh, but you know, the impression you get from all of this is that the FBI has developed into basically um, patsies or us. Right. Like a, not even good ones. They can they can they can provide them wholesale to any any U, U.S. intel agency that wants to carry out some kind of an operation. You know, you can. But, but you can, not like not like even interesting patsies. I mean, basically what they do is they just go and find some 19 year old kid who thinks he's a rapper, which are automatically is is doing my mind in. Right? They say, look, we'll give you fifty thousand bucks to drive this car and park it over there by that tree. The truck happens to have a bomb in it. Boom! Instant patsy. I mean, come on. That's yeah, but in all of these cases so far, there's been no boom. <clears throat> it's all been duping the guy into thinking that right. this was going to happen. And behind it all is money. He's I like, mean, yeah, just keep the money flowing and I'll do whatever you want. You know, we're willing to offer you 50 grand if you could find it within yourself to want to be a member of Al-Qaeda. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. And, but, but, I mean, but, this shit isn't Arlington Road. This is Sesame Street type yeah, of shit. You know? Sesame this Street is, version of Arlington this Road, is yeah. Sesame Street version of Arlington but Road. But I, I can just, you know, I mean, I can just see the conversation, you know, in the, in, in the intel agencies that, that, that organize this, you know. It's like, uh, you know, you get one, one, one agent that comes along and it's like, you listen, you know, comes to the, whoever organizes the patsy, there's probably some dedicated team, you know, to, to, to kind of handling the patsies, you know. So the other branch comes in and says, listen, need a couple, right. of, need, need a couple of patties here. What can you do, me, do, do for me? You know what I mean? And the guy's like, well, let me have a look at my book here. I've got, uh, can do you a couple of Somalis. I've got Yemenis, Pakistanis. I mean, what, what are you after? You know what I mean? What, what are you looking for? And the other guy's like, well, no, d- did Somalis, <laughs> Yemenis, Yemeni, the underwear bomber, he was a Yemeni. No, we can't do that again. And they're, yeah, they're all black, you know, and, uh, I don't know. Uh, what, I mean, have you got anything else? And he said, "Well, let me see here. Uh, well, I could do you a couple of nationalized American Chechen brothers." <laughs> how does that? How does that sound? I was like, "Hmm, Chechens. That's like... Uh, oh, that's good. They're, good. they're Muslim too. You haven't topped that one yet. You know what I mean? You've got the whitey. Isn't they've Chechnya got, and Lebanon. <laughs> no, they've got the whiteiness and they've got the Muslim Musliminess going on there. That's that's a good one. Yeah." Uh, so okay, yeah, hook me up. Uh, what, where can I where can I get a hold of these guys? And, and it's boom, you know, here you go. Here's their information and the plan set in motion. And uh, <laughs> I mean, probably what they did to these guys is they just basically like you know gave them some grenades, 
and said, hey, this is for a future thing. Then they went and did the whole bombing and mm-hmm. then blamed it on them. And that's where these guys like, oh, shit, we're patsies all of a sudden and then went on a run type of thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, mean, like, what I think happened here, I think I think they appealed to their intelligence because it does sound like they had some brains between them. Yeah. The two brothers. There is another uh, angle they play on when they set up people. And that is to actually play on their patriotic oh, yeah, yeah, feelings totally. and to say that um, we, we need your help this is because the case with, we, we want to test the strength of our enforcement response to a drill emergency. Can you make sure you're on, on the street corner wearing this backpack and oh, put that black tap on? We need you both there at X time and uh, and that's it. Just walk away then, you know? Yeah, uh, and a number of times people are set up that way. It reminds me of yeah. the London 7-7 bombings. Uh, since emerged that uh, they thought they were taking part in a terror drill. Um, there were four guys, I think, and they went into London, met up at a certain place, and then went to the various sites where bombs went off so that they would be there in position. I don't think they were actually going because they'd been duped into being members of Al-Qaeda and all yeah. that. Just the opposite. They were actually doing their patriotic duty. Yeah, well, there's there's the patriotic duty aspect to it, as in, but that's fairly benign in the sense of, um, you know, they set up these drills, you know, terrorism drills, or whatever, uh, you know, people are convinced that there's a threat to the to the country, a nebulous threat, ill-defined threat to the country from some kind of terrorism. So our security personnel need to be well trained in it. So, you know, a major event, for example, would be attract to the terrorists. So let's say we organize a drill at the at the Boston um, the Boston Marathon. So we get all the police forces and whoever else are involved. We want to test them, right? We want to test them. So what we need is somebody to act as the bombers, or at least, you know, a couple of guys to kind of act suspiciously, uh, carry backpacks, drop them at a certain place, just to see if the police and whoever else are there who are meant to be looking for these kind of things would pick right. up on it. Right. And then we get a good test of whether it works or not. You know, there's infinite so, levels of ways it can be played. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's open to your imagination, basically, yeah. the way they can do it. You know, and um, but there's also the angle of they have access to people, uh, again, kind of petty criminals and that kind of thing, who may have, you know, on, they're on their third strike or whatever, and they're going down for a long time, and it's, mm. um, they can basically say, listen, you work for us, and then they can get them to do whatever they want. And they could, it's simply a matter of saying, you know, listen, we have something that you want. We want you to do for us, and uh, we want you to be in a certain place at a certain time. Um, so be there, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, all they need is a body. All they need is you know, and then they have to set up in advance. They're going to, right. going to take video footage. They, they put him in a certain place where yeah. there's where there's surveillance cameras and stuff, and he can be and wear a backpack, you know, or. Here's something I want you to deliver to someone. Put it in a backpack and take it down there. He'll know who you are. Or leave it there for him. He's waiting for you to leave the backpack in that certain place. Yeah. It's just a drop-off. You're doing a drop-off for the FBI. It's a sensitive operation. <laughs> you need somebody of your kind of status. Caliber. Caliber to carry this out, you know? And it's like... Yeah, um, people imagine that there has to be some sort of really grand conspiracy to pull something like this off. But it really probably only takes about two to three people. Yeah. You know, inside of like the FBI or the CIA or something like that, you know, one person to have access to some records to find where they can get their stool pigeon, fixes up a backpack, say, be there on this corner, take this backpack, drop it off in front of the door, and then he just pushes the button in there. I mean, you've got a con- you've got you got a terrorist attack from like two people. I mean, these guys 
There's no need for a giant conspiracy. I suspect, I suspect that there are more than just a couple of people involved. But there are probably only a couple who know that this time, whatever check is normally in place to make sure it is just a crappy foil, another terror plot, sort of take their foot off this pedal and, oh, let it through. You know what I mean? So I there mean, are still the same kinds of numbers involved, but most of them, as far as they're concerned, is just going to be another practice run or another foil terror plot that they'll benefit from. The ones who actually know this, know this time is going live. It's probably just a couple of people, say. You know? I'm beginning to think that it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a very small number of people who really know that it's fake. You know? I think that there's a large number of people who get the heads up that something might go down, mm. and so they're ready to jump on it. But I don't think they have the information that they're faking terrorism. Um, I think that a lot of these politicals, the police commissioner and stuff like that, that they're all they're all sort of being gamed just as much as the patsies. They're being gamed just as much as everybody else. And I think it's, it's probably a small number of people inside the government who are who are really actively pushing it, you know, I mean, like behind the Sandy Hook type of stuff and like in the French government behind the Marat type of thing. I think it's a small number of people. I'm not saying that that makes governments in any way innocent or, or less bad. In fact, it probably makes them even a little bit worse, in my opinion. But for other people, they might think that I'm saying that, oh, it's just a couple of bad people. It's a couple of bad people in the midst of like a giant pool of sewage, which is like the political environment. And, you know, I mean, just because, you know, Obama isn't in there in the drawing room planning the terror attacks himself. It's not in any way making him, it's, you know, smelling like a rose from all the other shit that he does. Yeah. But I doubt that Obama's like, oh, we need a fake terrorist attack. No, but he's, he doesn't have a security clearance to. Yeah, he probably he's doesn't a, have he's a, a puppet. He's, yeah. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't run the government, you know, he's just a, a figurehead, a puppet, you know. Um, well, 90% so of the people all, in the government are, are puppets. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, all of this begs the question did the FBI have a file on these guys. Yes, they did. Well, yeah, they were yeah, not just two random everybody. people who happened to hate America and do something about their hate. No, they were known. They were interviewed on more than one occasion. Yeah. That's Probably a, on the payroll. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a... I mean, she may be a bit biased, but there is the statement of his mother. He is um, like um, really, really properly raised, and uh, in our house, never nobody talked about the terrorism. And my son Tamerlan really was a, got got involved in the religion, um, you know, uh, like um, religious religious politics uh, five years ago. So he started uh, following his own religious aspects, and he never, he never told me that he he would be uh, like on the side of jihad and uh, whatever they are talking, whatever is uh, talking about him being a loser, themselves are the losers. My son, my son would never do this. My son, it is a setup. Um, he was controlled by um, FBI like for five, three, five years. They knew what my son was doing. They knew what actions and what the sites on internet he was going. They used to come home. They used to come. They used to come and talk to me. They used to tell me that you know that um, they are controlling his. Uh, 
they were telling me that he's a really um, a serious leader and they are afraid of him. They said, they told me that um, whatever is he is, uh, what, whatever computer site or whatever is there, whatever information he's getting, they are controlling him. So how could this happen? How could they? They were controlling every step of him and they are telling today that this is a, a terrorist act. Never, ever, this is not true. My two sons are an innocent. But they were talking to my son, and they called me officially, and they told me that my son is an excellent boy, and they have no problem with that, with, with him. They... So at the same time, they were telling that he is like, um, he is, um, uh, he, he is, uh, he, you know, he's getting the information in a really extremely, extremely, uh, um, what is that, site. So they were um, kind of uh, very, very afraid of him. So that's foresee... why I think that it is a set up. Could you foresee any chance at all that maybe, and I know this must be very hard to take in as a parent, oh especially God. as a mother of your two sons, but there yeah. could have been a side to them that maybe you just didn't know, that they didn't let you in on? My son, my oldest son, who used to tell me everything, everything, every day, every every second day, my son used to call me and ask me, how are you, mama? Both of them, mama, we love you. Mama, um, how are you? We miss you. It's impossible, impossible for them, to, for both of them to do such things. So I am really, 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 really telling that this is a set up. My son would tell me, my son never would keep it in, in secret so I would know whoever would be to you know knowing that if there is anyone who would know it would be me mother he would never he would never hide it from me he would tell me that but never never ever even a word Zubaida, no. your son, yeah. your youngest son, as we know, at length, is, is on the run tonight. Boston is locked down. The police are looking for him. If yeah. by any chance he's got RT on, if by any chance he gets to hear you speak to him now, uh, what would you say to him? I would say... I, what would I say? I would say save your life and tell them the truth that you haven't, been, or haven't done anything. That this is a set-up. But this is a set-up. Well, his mother seems to be pretty well up on the whole... Uh, it's a set-up. The poor woman. I know, yeah. I mean, and here's the thing, you know. Um, I've been harassed on Facebook. Yeah. You know that? I didn't know that. Do you ever get harassed on Facebook? I don't use Facebook, That's, like at all. Yeah. It's it's where you get Jay, harassed. Yeah, you don't know what you're missing. It's where you get harassed. I do. Don't know that... You don't know the amount of harassment you can get on Facebook if you really try. I do. But, well, that's why you don't use it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, because... I haven't said it explicitly, but to be honest, <clears throat> in the context that we're presenting here, I mean, the three people who were killed and the people who were maimed at the bombing, uh, uh, you know, deserve a lot of sympathy. But those two guys, if what we suspect is the truth, um, which is that they were set up, they were manipulated, and then they were used and killed. Um, they deserve, in my opinion, maybe even more sympathy because simply for the fact that people, many people in the U.S. are either happy about <coughs> or cheering or dancing on their graves, basically. Right. Whereas no one's dancing on the graves of the people who died in the bombing. And the people who died in the bombing were kind of indiscriminate 
uh, victims in a way there was no intent, deliberate intent to kill those specific people. Whereas there was a deliberate attempt to, attempt, intent to kill these two guys. Right. Uh, they were targeted and murdered right. specifically, and then uh, their deaths were cheered by entire, mm-hmm. and the entire nation. So they were lynched. So in the, yeah, sense, I mean, in the sense of having sympathy for someone, uh, well, here's the thing. my sympathy extends as much to them. Absolutely. I mean, I have a kind of, a, I guess, a weird perspective on a certain thing. I understand, like, I believe, like, in the death penalty and things like this. I, I agree with those things. I think that there are certain instances where, you know, I mean, somebody's got to die, you know? I mean, if someone said, hey, today we're going to execute Ted Bundy, I'd be like, well, you know, I mean, it's probably a good idea. And if these guys really were terrorists, I mean, just imagining for a second that I didn't think that it was all set up, and they really had done what they'd done, then I would say, okay, I, you know, yeah. I mean, if you're going to go around setting, you know, landmines for, for regular pedestrians, yeah, you need to die. Yeah. But I would never cheer someone's death. Mm-hmm. Especially by execution, like it's never. not something you take lightly. It's not something you take. Lightly. It doesn't matter. I mean, even if Hitler's dying, I would be like, okay, look, I understand. You know, you're going to execute Hitler, and that's. I think that that's the correct thing to do, and I, I support that action. But I'm not going to go to a party and be like, yeah, Hitler's dead. Fuck yeah. I mean, that's uncouth behavior. That's uncivilized behavior, yeah. in my opinion. And so, I do have sympathy, even for for criminals. I think that there's not enough sympathy in the world for criminals. People look at criminals as well. They're criminals, so therefore they no longer have rights. And I simply don't hold to that. I don't believe that. I don't care what they did. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's no way for you to be be excluded from humanity. It doesn't happen. I mean, there are some people. Oh, he's a monster. No, you're a human being. Okay, you do bad stuff, and human beings can do bad things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it necessitates handling that situation by like killing them or something like that. That happens. But you can't ever be excluded from humanity, no matter what you do. I mean, I don't care if you kill five billion people you know you're still a human being you still should be subject to to laws and subject to the judgment and due process of the people that you have that right and Mm -hmm. you know no uh cruel and unusual punishments nothing like that you decide the judge and the people and jury says okay we've decided that this person has to die and they can't live in society anymore you do it with you know with honor in a certain sense. And people who, who, who cheered and jeered and set up party for that, those people are, at, are at, disgusting. At least me. uncivilized, yeah. Well, I wonder But that now. also doesn't exclude them from humanity, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> we talked uh, a few shows back about um, due process. Right. And effectively, it's removal. Right. From the Constitution. Well, oh, yeah. from the American... What's going on? It's a way of life. No, yeah. it was the NDAA, which right. effectively removes the right to due process for American citizens. I wonder, you know, this is like the next step, you know. I mean, these two guys, okay, it's easy to cast them as foreigners or immigrants mm-hmm. when it suits them. But I was thinking about it. They're as American as American can be. Yeah. They moved to the country. They love the place. They love the way of life. Mm-hmm. They went there because they couldn't get a half-decent life back in Chechnya, unsurprisingly. Right. So there they are. They're living a good life. So, or so they believe, of course. Well, here's a- and, you know, they're, they're as American as can be. Most Americans are from somewhere else. What is right. America but a country of immigrants, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, but that's... <coughs> they're that one kind of, of you. That kind of argument is just like, it's so... 
mind-boggling to me because they talk about like American rights and it's like screw American rights, man. It's a human right. You know, I mean, in my opinion, like the American Constitution should apply to everybody if it were exactly or the American Bill of Rights and stuff like that. Those are supposed to be like human rights, you know. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. You know, if you're an American, you're supposed to. I mean, this is the ideal, idealized version of what an American does. An American treats everybody like an American. You have the right to say what you want. You have all the right to a free association, all these different things. And those apply to everyone because everyone's an American. Because as an American, that's your philosophy. I mean, the whole idea that there are other countries, really, we don't get it. Every every country, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, thing from um, Full Metal Jacket, you know. Inside of everybody is an American just waiting to get out type of thing, you know. <laughs> we got a call here. Let's see what who we have on the line. Hi, caller. What's your Hello. name? Where are you calling from? Hi, this is Corey. I'm calling from the Midwest. Hey, Corey. Here in America. Hey, not much. I just wanted to call and say thank you for maintaining a voice of sanity during this crazy lynching that's going on right now. It's just, it's really beyond me how, how just, how basically what happens, it looks like these FBI informants just kind of go through their email RSS feeds and look up and see who has been looking at the wrong websites, and then they go track them down, pick them out, and then just go ahead and set up a public lynching with the main distinction and nowadays that rather than we we cheer on the slavery of others, we are basically just cheering at our own slavery. And so I was just wondering what you you think about that sort of, that analogy and how it fits our modern times. Well, what do you know of the origin of the word scapegoat? You know, you remember no, from, Greek soci- the, from Greek society, they would sort of blame all the sins of the city on a single person who wasn't actually guilty of it, and then they would do whatever it is that they did some sort of bacchanal thing where they chase them out of town or kill them or all kinds of different stories. Who knows if it's all true? But the whole idea was basically to expunge the sins mm. of, a, of, a, of a city or a grouping of people. They would pick somebody, even somewhat at random, and basically punish them for the sins of everybody else. And that's kind of like where this whole concept of scapegoating is. And this practice has continued on into today. People don't think about it in those terms because – we don't have a formalized ritual that everyone is is privy to, but in a certain sense, basically what happened is this is just scapegoating. 9-11 was just kind of scapegoating. All of this stuff is scapegoating, and, and American society is probably the most sinful society in, in a certain sense. I mean, they are kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah all together, plus Babylon, plus everybody. You know, I mean, there's a little bit of everything in America, which is what makes it kind of cool and kind of great, but at the same time also makes it a, a little bit of a scary place to live. And so, I mean... I kind of wonder if there's an almost an almost twisted religious nature behind what's kind of happened, you know, in the in the subconscious of people, of trying to you know just basically expunging all the sin, trying to 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 work this this old magic, uh, to save. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I totally yeah. I totally see where you're I totally see where you're coming from because it, right now, with the way things are going, it really does seem like our religion is murder. And I mean, like I like I was saying about a slavery, our freedom, our freedom is to com- is to be as depraved as we want to. I mean, that is like our yeah. freedom. So I mean, it's like our freedom is our slavery now. We have been we've been we've turned the circle. So 
so that our freedom so joyous we can shout in the streets right in the streets when people are killed, innocent people for, who seem right now with all the evidence to be innocent people are just killed. All I mean, and I'm not talking just about the the bombing suspects, but obviously the other the others who are involved in the bombing. I mean, we just cheer on the the powers that put all this into play. And then we, and then you know that all those people just went out and got drunk, you know, watched whatever filthy, <laughs> filthy movies they wanted to watch, and then yeah, you know, yeah. and then probably just I don't even want to say it because it's just from what you see, everyone knows just it's how crazy circuses, things have gotten. It's spread in circuses. It, yep. Yeah, I mean, Thank it you. is pretty disgusting. That is pretty disgusting. You know, I totally agree with you. Um, and <clears throat> in terms of. I was just looking at those those uh, images of the people in the streets cheering and whooping and USAing it up, and yeah. it just struck me that these people were doing this in response to what was effectively martial law imposed on them, which was in yeah. response to the public kind of murder, hunting and murder of, of, of two people. And, yeah, I mean, it's a mix of cheering on martial law and getting your jollies from, you know, the public execution of two people, you know? Well, that's what public execution was always about anyway. About giving jollies to people? Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, are you feeling it over in the Midwest there as well? It's just pretty much across across the U.S., Corey? Yeah, are you talking about feeling that sense of martial law? Or that just the no, feeling just the effect of the Boston bombing? Yeah, feeling people kind it's of... Like People feeling, uh, you know, really jubilant. inappropriately, yeah, jubilant, jubilant about about yeah. what happened. No, you know, in in our sleepy little city, uh, people people don't talk about that kind of stuff. We have been fortunate enough to to have been sheltered from a lot of the economic deprivation. You know, the foreclosure crisis never hit, so people aren't uh, aren't suffering enough to probably really even be paying attention to these kinds of things. Most people around here. Are still focused on how do we um, how do we help uh, one another kind of uh, come together just in case something bad does happen. But uh, from just from what I see, you know, it's a lot of uh, there's there's still a lot of complacency just like everywhere else. But no one's no one's even really talking about it for um, not at all really. It's kind yeah, well, of sad. It's it's really sad. Not the the only time they talk about it is when they complain it's on the news. Right? It's like, oh, why, why isn't there anything else on the news? That's the only thing I've heard so far, which is, that's a that's a strange fact in and of itself. Yeah, that's the second second deadly sin in this situation apathy. is apathy to it, ignoring it, you know, when it's happening yeah. in your country. Yeah, yeah it, it absolutely right. is. Okay, Corey. Thanks okay, for thanks for your call. Go, I just wanted to say thank you again because it's it, it what you're doing is really uh, a, a priceless service. Thank you okay. for your great work. I enjoy listening to it. Thank you. All right. Thank you for calling. Bye. Take care, Corey. Bye. Um. Yeah, we're getting some uh, messages here uh, about my comment about my repeated comment about them about the murder of two people. And one of them is still alive. Um, as far as I'm concerned, in this context, this, the younger brother, who's just a kid, uh, will not be speaking to anybody and, he and will, will not survive. He will rarely. He, so no. I mean, he may not be dead right now, but he's as good as dead. Well, so I mean, when I say the execution of two people, that's pretty much what happened because there's a breaking kind of story as well. 
that was just in the context of what happened with him. He held up in a boat right for for a whole day. He was supposed to be on the run. The whole story is ridiculous. He had mm. you know, up to 10,000. Like a bad movie spot. He had up to 10,000 armored personnel. Personnel in a relatively small suburban area. Couldn't find this one guy. They had infrared cameras on helicopters or, you know, right. all sorts of stuff. And they supposedly couldn't find him for the whole day and eventually found him in a boat, in someone's boat in a backyard that was covered with a tarp. And um, and they claimed that he had been injured. He was lying in the boat injured uh, and he had lost a lot of blood by the time that he he was found. Um, but they got this remote control device in to rip the tarp off the to rip the tarp off the boat. And they threw a flashbang grenade in a relatively small boat where he was in. But apparently he had a gunshot wound to his throat and his leg and had lost a lot of blood by the time he came out. But there's a still of him coming out of the boat on his own, not being taken out, coming out of the boat on his own. And he's climbing out of the boat, supposedly in a critical condition, and then immediately went to hospital and immediately in a critical condition. But he's able to climb out of the boat on his own. Right? And there's a breaking story now that's being spread around the bullshit wire, which is the mainstream media, which is that he put a gun, as well as the, the, the wound to his throat and his leg, he put a gun in his mouth and fired as he was cornered in the boat. Right? So that's a third gunshot wound, and he put a gun in his mouth and shot himself through the mouth and then climbed out of the boat and surrendered the police. This right? is sounding like Marat type of shit, right? you know? But the wounds from putting the gun in his mouth and shooting himself means, according to the mainstream media now, and He'll never just, be able to talk. He will never be able to be quizzed. So, okay, he may be the walking dead. I take back my comment that he was executed. He's just been basically, you know, taken out in another way. He may still have a heartbeat, but he's as good as dead. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, even if they put him in a hole for the next 60, 70 years, I mean, you know, somebody who's in prison for life has been executed from a certain perspective. Yeah, know? I mean, absolutely. they're dead, you know. I mean, they don't have a life anymore. Their life has been taken away, so. Yeah, it's like the yeah. guy. So, so there's there's that ridiculous scenario around the younger brother. And the night before, so he was caught at about 7, 7.30 in the evening, eventually when they got to him, and he's been hiding out in this urban, in this in this suburb bleeding all day, neck. bleeding all day, but he's able to climb out of the boat. And then they find him, whatever, take him away, and he's not going to speak now, all that kind of stuff. So that's all just highly suspicious and just does not make any sense whatsoever. Sounds like a load of bullshit made up. The older brother who was caught the night before. Late Thursday night, yeah. Um, in the early hours of the morning, I think maybe 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning, on Friday morning. Yeah. He supposedly walked down the street, kind of John Wayne style, shooting at the cops after this car chase, got out of the car, walked down the street, was shooting at them, um, and then ran out of bullets. And they were exchanging fire. There's one report from, from a policeman, one from the police chief, Boston police chief, said that he was walking down the street, just came, got out of the car, walked down the street, guns blaring type thing, like Mara, uh, yeah. right? Walking down the street until he ran out of bullets. And he was exchanging fire with one of his, one of the officers, one of the Boston police chief's officers, from a distance of five to ten feet. That's not much further from, than from me to you. Yeah. And they were blaming away at each other, right? Yeah. Then he runs out of bullets, nothing happens, nobody gets killed. Uh, so then another officer comes in when he runs out of bullets and tackles him to the ground. Right? Right. So then he's taken to hospital and he dies within two hours. Yeah. And the coroner says that he has multiple uh, gunshot wounds and serious, serious tr- trauma uh, to his body in terms of lacerations that maybe 
that look like they're associated with some kind of an explosive device. Yeah. And then you have a video of that has been, as far as we know, unidentified. Actually, I've just seen a report now, that, but I'll get to that. But we have this video of someone who looks exactly like the guy from his previous images, you know, walking down the street and getting into a police car with no marks on him whatsoever. Right. And they claim now, I've just seen a report here in, uh, on a website saying that this naked man, now they put out that this naked man that was seen who looks exactly like the older brother was not a suspect in the Boston bombings. Aha. Uh-huh. They so just, they're covering their tracks all the way along here. They just walk some naked dude down the street for no reason? Yeah. Okay. But but when that was first aired and went, you know, viral, viral, that was the crowning moment. That was like the moment that the manhunt was successful. And we won, we won. That's when all the jubilation started, right. I think. No, no, no. It was, no. It was the, the next day before. when they got the other guy because he was hiding night. out in the suburbs. Okay. And it was a dire threat to a 19-year-old pot-smoking kid who just wanted to get rich, as his tweet said, and you know wanted money and parties and get stuff like that. Die trying. Yeah, and smoked pot a lot. Uh, who was hiding out was this terrible threat to this entire suburb or entire city of Boston because the whole place was locked down and ten thousand people couldn't find him. And then they all, you know, wet their pants because they found him. And you know what happened was that both of these people were executed or, or were, were abused and have been rendered. One of them has been murdered, and the other one has been rendered. A vegetable. Basically a vegetable by the police. And the both of them were set up and the both of them were patsies and it's all a massive farce and American people are cheering it on or, or just ignoring it and it will be onto their own destruction. Because when you accept that kind of bullshit from the authorities who try to scare you, terrorize you into accepting into into bowing down and kissing the feet of authority and it's a real it's basically a police state that they're trying to put in place through this process. What do you expect? Going to, what do you expect to happen? Where, where do you think it's going to go? Is it just for fun? They're doing this just for fun. This is obviously this is this is basically a psychopathic ideology. Essentially, it's just craving power and control over people as a means, as an end in itself. Right. It is the end: control and authority and ruling it over people, lording it over people and squeezing them and controlling them. And ultimately, the psychopaths, actually, a lot of psychopaths enjoy killing people as well, just so you know. Right. They enjoy killing you. And it doesn't matter. They don't, they don't care. Black skin, dark skin, Americans, whatever. They'll, they'll enjoy killing anybody right. on the same basis. And people who don't understand this because they say, well, look, but, they're, but when these guys get up on TV and you know, express themselves, they're so charming and, I mean, they t- say all the right words and, you know, they don't look like the kind of people who do that. You're, you're describing a monster. Well, Harvey Kleckley wrote a book called The Mask of Sanity, which was about psychopaths. And he described exactly what they are like, which is that they are extremely charming, extremely articulate, articulate uh, and, you know, create a very good impression. But behind it, they're completely devoid of empathy and don't give a shit whether you live or die. And in fact, they want you to die. Ultimately, they want to control and dominate and abuse and murder and kill you. They want to destroy. They have a destructive principle. And this is the people who are in positions of power. So all you have to do, American people and the people of the world, is grok the fact that you cannot judge a freaking book by its cover. These people who look charming and appear charming and say all the right words, look at their deeds. Obama, whoever you want to, whoever you want to pick out of, the, of, of among your, amongst your authorities, 
these are the people who are all very charming, they're taking it and stuff, but they're sending drones every day around the world to kill people, to kill people they know are innocent. They lied to you deliberately and constantly. Everybody knows this, right? They lied to you about the Iraq war. They deliberately invaded another country. And you think they don't know or they didn't know that when they launched a war against Iraq, it wasn't a war, it was an invasion. When they, when they invaded Iraq, they didn't know that hundreds of thousands of people and over 1.5 million people were going to die. And they did it for no good reason. That's why they had to lie to you. But still you fall back on the idea that, but he's so charming. Well, just look at what he does. Forget about how charming or how nice his suit is or how well-spoken he is. And look at what they have done. They have lied to you blatantly in an effort to get your support for them, to allow them to go and kill hundreds of thousands, millions of people because they enjoy it. And now they're doing it to you. Now they're setting you up for the same action, for the same treatment. So... You know, but in there a, you go. In a certain sense, I think that there's a large percentage of the population that have a, a very strong submissive streak. They actually, they actually kind of want to be sacrificed in a certain sense. They want to be sacrificial. Man. I think that they, they like it and they, they get off on it in some sort of weird, twisted way. Up to a certain point. No, no, I Surely think they don't want to be. They really want to die and stuff. You know? I mean, I think that they really do, you know. I mean, it's... Um, I I mean, there's no other explanation because, I mean, people are... I, at a certain point, I mean, the lies are so blatantly lies, um, and people are so, um, what, what's the word for it? They're like pigs and shit kind of thing, you know? I mean, they're just groveling in it and running around. They really get off on it, and they really they really like this whole totalitarian government thing because it's exciting for them, you know? There's a terrorist attack, and then the police come out, and they shoot stuff, and yeah. they have infrared cameras, and it's just like a movie. I mean... For them, drones overhead. Drones overhead. I mean, they really get off on it. They're excited about it, but they don't think that it's ultimately going to. They, I mean, they don't realize this is the opening chapter in this being an everyday reality for them. The final uh, chapter. I, I want beginning. to read out some descriptions of the jubilation in Boston. This is from Associated Press. Um, after the capture, celebratory bells rang from a church tower. Crowds lined the streets into the center of town. Teenagers waved American flags. Every car that drove by honked. Every time an emergency vehicle went by, people cheered loudly. Lois Johnson, a 49-year-old attorney, had spent the day inside with her son. So when the celebration started, they came out with a container of cookies they had baked and started handing them out. Oh, Christ. When you see your town invaded like this, it's stunning, says Roger, 65. Everyone in Watertown is just so grateful that he's caught and that we're liberated. And in a way there, he's giving it away, you know. <laughs> they, were, they were very much not free. They've been liberated. It's kind of a combination of relief and a sadistic enjoyment of it. Both are mixed in there, you know. I guess at least some of the people would have been terrified by what's going down. I've only got one thing to say. America, 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 fuck yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, well, <clears throat> that's that's appropriate because I don't know how that got in there. <laughs> Hundreds of people marched down Commonwealth Avenue, chanting USA, USA. And singing the Red Sox anthem, Sweet Caroline, oh my God, as they headed toward Boston Common. 
They just take it. Take police, it. The police actually block traffic to make way for an impromptu parade. You just take it way too far. I mean, wow. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say about that kind of stuff. It's, we live in a world gone mad, you know, uh, or at least sections of it are have gone really over the edge at this point. And it's terrible because I'm kind of conflicted, you know, because I know that a lot of ordinary people out there who might feel that kind of a jubilation and it's it's a sense of relief after a fear and terror that was imposed on them and suddenly they have this release of emotion because they were terrorized by by their own government basically and so they want to let off a bit of steam and stuff but seriously there needs to be some thinking brought in here when those kind of emotions are involved you need to bring your critical thinking capacities in and, and because that's what's going to save you ultimately because most people have the emotional age of, of a child basically and they're not going to be able to navigate this world very well in the state that it's in and the way that it's being ruled they're not going to be able to navigate this world very well based on their emotional responses because that is how people are being controlled that is how the powers that be have understood is the best way to control people is through their emotions. And if your emotions are very juvenile, uh, you're screwed because you're just going to be like a Pavlov, Pavlovian dog, basically. It's just going to push a button and you react. So if you cannot bring in any of your... And, and I mean, at least there's an opportunity for people to develop their intellectual capacities a little more than their emotional capacities. Uh, and that's your only uh, potential safeguard against that is to say, hang on a minute, let's think about this, you know? Um, Am I getting the whole picture? What else is out there? I mean, it does not take much effort to... There must be some things in your mind when you see uh, one claim versus another claim, both from official sources, one directly contradicting the other one. Do you not go, well, okay, there's a contradiction there. I know, I'll just, I'll just Google it. Maybe someone made a mistake somewhere down the line. That little spark of curiosity could go a long way. Yeah. But it goes against, the problem is people have to follow it, and if they follow it, it goes to places where they don't want to go because they're so identified with a belief system that has been inculcated in them or they've been infected with it really because it's an infection of a belief system that is completely false, you know, and doesn't match to the reality around them. And that's what you got to do. you got to try and weigh up what you believe based on what's actually in the, happening in the world around you and see if they match, and if they don't, your best option is to go with, with the reality around you rather than your belief system. Honey, did you hear what they said? They said that the bullet couldn't have done what they said it done. Oh, look, American Gladiators. <laughs> that reminds me. That reminds me. Kennedy. I love talking about the Kennedy assassination because to me it's a great example of uh, a totalitarian government's ability to you know, manage information and thus keep us in the dark any way they deem. Oh, sorry, wrong meeting. Uh, <laughs> shit. That's the meeting we're having tomorrow at the docks. I love talking about Kennedy. I was just down in Dallas, Texas. You know, you can go down there and uh, to Dealey Plaza where Kennedy was assassinated. And you can actually go to the sixth floor of the school book depository. It's a museum called the Assassination Museum. I think name that after the assassination. I can't be too sure of the chronology here. Not. but Anyway, 
they have the window set up to look exactly like it did on that day. And it's really accurate, you know, because Oswald's not in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. Wow, that's cool. Painstaking accuracy, you know. <laughs> it's true. It's called a sniper's nest. It's glassed in. It's got the boxes sitting there. And you can't actually get to the window itself. And the reason they did that, of course, they didn't want thousands of American tourists getting there each year going. No fucking way! I can't even see the road! Shit, they're lying to us! Fuck! Where are they? There's no fucking way! Not unless Oswald was hanging by his toes upside down from the ledge. Either that or some pigeons grabbed onto him, flew him over the motorcade. Surely someone would have seen that. You know... Uh, that was provoked by Jason making a reference to JFK. That was just Bill Hicks, who, through humor, was trying to present the truth of the JFK assassination. And, you know, we could do a show on that and go on back to cause kind of when it all really started going, well, going downhill. There's something he says, uh, there's something he says at the end of that rant. Um, you know, Oh, good, honey. I heard on the news that what they said was that Oswald's gun went off and then there was an echo in the plaza. Oh, honey, what time gladiators on at? American gladiators. And Bill, and Bill just lets rip and he says, you know, I'm so glad, you know, I'm so glad we're free. Free to do as we tell you. You're free to do as we tell you. And he was picking up on this that, you know, the saturation of um, misinformation in the media. Mm-hmm. And the entertainment of it all. Well, you know, something completely obscures any 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 idea of what re- really is going on out there. But what's really interesting, as a side note that is very pertinent to that, um, before I left Florida, um, there was a reporter at Fox News. I think I'm pretty sure Fox, um, who applied for she got fired or something like that because of something that she had done. She basically had you know told people that. Fox had fabricated a story. I can't remember what story it was. So they fired her, and so then she was applying for some sort of whistleblower-type thing and whatever it was. And she went to court with Fox News, and the judge basically said to her, he said, you know, it's all fine and good, but news companies are not legally obligated to tell you the truth because technically they're entertainment companies. That there's actually no law that says that the news company has to tell you the truth. That they are considered in the eyes of the law to be just for entertainment purposes only. The corporations who respond been, to shareholders. They've been fulfilling that remit since yeah. forever. I mean, entertaining news, people with bullshit. The news has always been about entertainment in America, for sure. You know, that wasn't the original idea of the press. You know, the press is an organ of of the people, and uh, for reporting on the government, that was their original purpose and mandate. But they haven't fulfilled that in in more than a hundred years. Mm-hmm. You know, they haven't fulfilled that since before the the American uh, the Civil War. You know, um, in which they, they they were very big into the the, the propaganda that, that started the Civil War as well. 
Yeah, and we get to today, and uh, this event is being reported. I'm thinking particularly of the the manhunt and lockdown. There wasn't. And, there not one thing adds up. Uh, even before uh, they were apprehended or shot dead, um, there's supposed to have been a wild car chase in downtown Boston mm-hmm. that ended up with no, it didn't begin. The, the opening shot, the reason they were onto their trail was supposedly because two guys walked up to a police officer, started chatting him up on MIT campus, then just shot him dead. Mm-hmm. The guy didn't even have a chance to draw his gun, so he no way suspicious of whoever these two people were. That was somebody else that shot, that shot him, in my opinion. Yeah. Someone else shot him, because that, that, that was an important, crucial aspect of implicating them too and those those two brothers you know right. uh somebody had to somebody had to die because there was no there is no evidence directly linking them to the bombing other than the fact that they are in pictures like hundreds of other people uh, around the finish line of the of the bombing uh of the of the Boston Marathon there is only there are only two pieces of evidence that links them to it one of them is the testimony of uh, the guy who was splashed around the newspapers all around the world who had his legs blown off in the bombing and was being wheeled in a wheelchair by a guy in a in a cowboy hat. Yeah, uh, his name was Jeff Bauman. Jeff Bauman, yeah. He was in hospital a day or two later and was just in and out of consciousness and was full of drugs, obviously, in his condition. And supposedly he said... That he identify that he or he said or he was able to identify the older brother, saying that he had looked at him straight in the face and dropped his backpack beside him, and two minutes later the backpack blew up. Actually, he didn't positively identify that it was one of the brothers. What happened was uh, he he scribbled down. He wasn't even able to speak. He scribbled down, bag, saw the guy, looked right at me, and then he described to an FBI agent who came to his hospital bed that he'd seen a man in sunglasses and black baseball cap. I'd walked right up to him, placed a black backpack on the ground, and stepped away. Mm-hmm. So he did not actually positively identify that it was uh, the older Chechen brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, so yeah, that, just some guy. He yeah, just well, said some guy. Some guy. I, I, well, the idea is that he saw the, the images being spread around on the news. I think the FBI released images of the two brothers on the Wednesday and then in response to that, he said that's when he recognized them. But he never he never actually said it. it's assumed that that's what happened, that he saw their faces. And that's how he knew it was one of them <laughs> who had been next to him and placed the bag. So that's that's the one tenuous So link. hold on. They released the photos for the cop shooting, right? Not for the terrorist subjects. No, they, they released the photos for the terrorist, for the, for the bombings. Right, uh, but how did they get onto him? They got onto him because of the cop shooting, right? No, no. They got onto him because this guy in the hospital who had his legs blown off in the bombing, supposedly in a state of delirium, full of drugs, a day or two later in the hospital with his legs amputated, uh, just momentarily woke up, is the way they're describing it, and positive and identified or gave the the FBI a tip saying, this guy looked at me and dropped the bag, and 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 the bomb happened uh, two minutes later. And, uh, so why were why were the why were the Cheshire brothers on the TV? Because 
uh, they had shown pictures of potential people who were because oh, okay. they had people, uh, you know, they had asked people to go and you know well, send in their pictures or whatever right. and. Yeah, but the FBI itself obviously has their own operation where they rented a warehouse somewhere in the U.S. and got all the images they could possibly get from all sorts of cameras that were in the area and laid them all out and looked at all the film and footage of the of the security cameras and stuff and did their own research to try and identify potential suspects. I think they were playing canasta the whole time. <laughs> they probably were. <laughs> probably faking it. Yeah, we set up a crime lab. In the two days before they they, they sent out images, these are suspects one and two. Have you seen them? Um, there were no leads, and they were encouraging members of the public to send them whatever info or photos they had from that day. Right. They even set up a website for people to send their images to. Uh, in the meantime, in the alternative media, people were collecting images from spectators or somehow I think there were stills from cameras also on public websites. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is that the public and then the alternative media who carried it picked up on a whole set of other guys in black hats, black dark, dark glasses and wearing backpacks. Um, this is be- Now, this is before the, the images of the two brothers have gone out. And it does look like there was a team of people. There are several images. There might be six or seven of these guys. They're all wearing the same stuff, black, uh, black jackets, Tan pants, combat, combat boots. Some of them have black backpacks. Some didn't. One of them is seen holding a kind of uh, someone. Uh, I think it was Natural News identified it as a, or speculated that it was a uh, some kind of radioactive device, like a, a, a Geiger counter. Um, and there's at least one photo where you can see that they seem to have earpieces yeah. and they're listening in on something. Yeah, I saw these photos. Now, there's a team, so there's a team of these guys milling around the finish line. Mm-hmm. And there's no official explanation for who they were or what they're doing there. There are a couple of ideas. Right. Some people have identified them as being mercenaries yeah. from a, a company called Craft International. No. And then there's another guy who says that these were part of a response team. Officially, this group have the. Uh, Got an article here. Members of an elite anti-terror unit from uh, Brooklyn's Fort Hamilton Army Base were deployed to Boston to assist in the recovery effort following the horrific April 15th bombing. Problem is, these guys photographed before the bomb went off, standing in the exact spot where the first bomb went off. So here's the thing. When I was when I was taking a keto back in Florida, my uh, my sensei would tell this story about a, a guy who came in, and this is Florida, right, right north of Tampa. Guy came in dressed in full ninja garb, and said, "Yeah, I want to cross study in your martial art." And he used to tell the joke. He said, "If you were a real ninja, you would have come in with a Hawaiian shirt and white shoes, and looking just like an old man." Those guys looked like mercenaries. What kind of professional mercenary would go to a crowd dressed like a mercenary? Well, I mean, they look like movie mercenaries. Exactly, you know? exactly. This is the thing. You see, there are uh, the alternative media has taken this and run with it. Um, it's a red herring. It 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 must be because why would they be so obviously identifiable? You know. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're wearing the same gear. They've got ear, headsets on, earpieces. I mean, that is kind of the the American. They were hanging around in the immediate aftermath. That's that's kind of the American mentality for security, though. Big 
buff guys with earpieces up front type of thing, you know? Yeah. So maybe that is in line with that. You know, maybe they were there for the purposes of making it look like security was there. I think they were there as part of whatever cross-operation was at work that there was a drill there that day. We have other evidence that there was a drill going on. There's clear evidence that there's a drill going on. In fact, I'm just going to play you a little audio clip of an eyewitness, and he's just one of several people who uh, provided evidence that eyewitness testimony that there was a drill. Now, several runners from our area are in Boston. They were running in the marathon. Several we talked with were not far from the explosions when they happened today. Yeah, local 15, John Zanitas is live in our newsroom right now. John, the University of Mobile cross-country coach actually saw the explosion happen. That's right, Kim. He had just finished the marathon and was walking back to the finish line to meet up with his wife. That's when the explosion started going off. His wife had been sitting in the section where one of the explosions went off, but thankfully she had left her seat to come meet up with him. He says there was just this thick, blinding cloud of white smoke. They all started running. The coach told me, though, this is interesting, before the marathon, he saw bomb-sniffing dogs and bomb spotters on the roofs at the starting line, and it appeared to him there was some sort of active threat before the explosions went off at the start line this morning they had um bomb spotters on the roof of the building and they had bomb sniffing dogs coming up and down at the start line and melanie said there was bomb sniffing dogs at the finish line but they kept making announcements saying to the participants do not worry this is just a training exercise well evidently i don't believe they were just having a training exercise i think they must have known they must have had some kind of threat or suspicions called in now, Coach Stevenson told me he's run plenty of marathons in D.C. and Chicago, other major metropolitan areas, but he's never seen that many bomb-sniffing dogs for a race. But for right now, reporting live in the newsroom, John Zanitas, Local 15 News. John, thank you. Just a horrible ordeal. So that was the um, University of Mobile's cross-country coach, Ali Stevenson, who was near the finish line of the marathon when the explosions went off saying that he thought it was odd there were bomb- well he saw spotters and uh he heard people say that there was a drill going on um and he goes to a lot of marathons and and he said know, he was surprised there were so many bomb sniffing dogs at the start of finish lines as well as law enforcement spotters on roofs of buildings and even he goes so far as to say that it wasn't just that they were having a drill that they must have known that there was something going on. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not because they can't have a drill uh, around a fake scenario. I think but it's very strange that they would have some kind of a serious drill like that where police would have to act in a, at, an, at an area where there was a, a marathon finishing, finishing and so many people. It doesn't sound plausible. It would have to be a very low-key drill. But the other serious piece of evidence that there was uh, a drill at least going on but a drill that strangely, like in so many other drills, coincided with exactly what happened. The drill went live somehow or other. <clears throat> Is that <clears throat> two hours before the bombs went off, the Boston Globe tweeted that officials had said that in one minute there would be a controlled explosion opposite the library. Now, the bombs went off directly opposite the public library at the finish line of the marathon two hours after that tweet was sent out by the Boston Globe. The exact tweet was, there will be a controlled explosion opposite the library within one minute as part of bomb squad activities. Nothing more said. <laughs> they just left it at that. Of course, there was no bomb 
within one minute. That was at 1 p.m., yeah. but two hours later, kaboom. Exactly. That's just... What are the odds? What's going on there? What's going on is that someone is seeding information. That It seems to me that there's, there's a complex kind of... Uh, a complex uh, plan has been put in place to have a drill going on or have law enforcement at least aware of a drill or somebody putting the word out that there's a drill going on uh, around the marathon finish line on that day, around that time, around the time that they plan to detonate the bombs. As, a, as First of all, as a cover for having certain people in there, maybe people, you know, obviously if you're going to plant a bomb somewhere and you're going to do it from the perspective of someone who has a lot of power and control, you're not just some terrorist type thing, uh, you want to control the situation, so you want to have your people in there <clears throat> making sure everything goes down the way it should go down. Right. So you want to have a, a reason why there might be extra uh, individuals in there, ex- people from other law enforcement or you know not very well-known law enforcement or intel agencies, whatever, on the scene on that day, so that police who are who are staffing the the marathon as as, as, no, as normal part of their job aren't wondering and are, are, are understand who these guys are. The guys in the camo pants, you know, um, so they have free reign to operate, basically. So the people who are actually carrying out the explosion covertly have free reign to operate. And that may be just a little leak, you know what I mean, where they had to tell the local law enforcement that weren't involved and then someone did the wrong thing and told the press or something or somehow got to the press and the press tweeted well, it. Ah, a, you know? There's an easier explanation and one that uh, unfortunately is going to sound bad, but still I think it's probably true. Um, uh, when somebody went to update the website, the server is probably located in a different time zone and the time was saved in the wrong time and displayed in the wrong time, I think. So yeah, possibly. We'll have, to, we'll have to see. We'd have to compare all the dates from the previous tweets and see if they're out of sync well, by an hour. The thing know. is, as soon as the bomb, the real bombings happened at 3 p.m., not long after, um, the alternative media were already picking up on this, and this was the main... There was both the, the guy we just listened to who was saying that it was weird that there was this drill going on, bomb-sniffing dogs and so on, and the other big... Uh, piece of evidence was this tweet. So it, it was being discussed, you know, that they, they had announced beforehand that there would be a controlled explosion within one, one minute opposite the, they just called the library. Now, at a 5 p.m. press conference, two hours later, they made reference to a fire that had taken place at the JFK library, specifically, and that that was miles uh, away. That was in a totally different location. And they were very vague about it. It was weird. It was like, oh, yeah, there was a fire, possibly an incendiary device. Don't worry, we're on it. That stuff, I think, is red hair. That's, that was dropped. That story was dropped like a hot potato. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the library, in, in the tweet, they didn't say which library, but the Boston Public Library is the one that's directly opposite where the And that tweet was in context of Boston Globe tweeting about the marathon because they were covering the marathon. And that tweet was part of tweets that were about the marathon. So it seems obvious that the public library they were talking about was the Boston, or the library they were talking about was the public library right opposite. Why would they be 
Yeah. The, the, you know what I mean? The it, spectator it, stand was actually built up against the side of the building. Exactly, yeah. So it's a totally, it's very anomalous and bizarre thing to say. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, you can't have so. a control, you can't just say, oh, control explosion at the marathon uh, finish line in one minute. Uh, just, there are just thousands FYI. of <laughs> It was weird. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that kind of stuff is like red herrings for people to latch on to because, you know, yeah. there's just, there's nothing really there. And it's probably like intentional. Yeah. Somebody was just messing with people. They knew they'd spot it. They said we. It's like fetishism, in uh, in television shows, they have this concept called fetishism where they basically plant like little tidbits into television shows that aren't really explained and they they never intend to for the purposes that fans will become obsessed with them and talk about them all the time and they call them basically fan fetishes. And um, we, we, so and that, we, yeah. this, this terrorist, these are like terrorism fetishes, where so the conspiracy nuts can can latch on. To these in, inconsistent details, but they're inconsistent because somebody was just saying, "Oh, just throw that out there." Exactly. You know, this like is John Cleese with the uh, "There is no fire on the wing." <laughs> Everything you know that show. N- absolutely nothing is wrong. <laughs> you know. This is the kind of stuff we saw when we were covering <laughs> the Sandy Hook school shooting. Just information being put out there that were red herrings, but they they at the same time they spoke volumes in themselves because. For someone to have known those kinds of things at the time, implicates is very strongly suggestive of foreknowledge. Mm-hmm. At the very least, we can say about this, even yeah. if it was a red herring, you know. Yeah, and in terms of red herrings, uh, just like to say officially that the whole uh, actors thing that has cropped up again is oh, no. is anybody who does that shit, uh, like they did on Sandy Hook, are a bunch of lying sniveling pieces of disinformation spreading. But they were already trying to suggest that uh, some of the victims who lost their legs were actors and they were using prosthetics as fake Are wounds. you kidding me? No. <laughs> but it, oh my God. What is wrong with those people? But this, start, this, this started with Sandy Hook. You know, it was all over Sandy Hook and we had to what, go... What, some of those dead kids were just like actors? Yeah, well, well no, all no. of them didn't exist. And Show us the bodies. Oh, some, we don't believe you did it. Yeah, but uh, oh it wasn't the kids. God. It was like, you know, it was uh, specifically the people who were interviewed, you know, the mem- members of the Sandy Hook community who were interviewed and stuff. And they were drawing all sorts of ridiculous conclusions from, you know, images of to people who obviously weren't the same people. There's a website that does it uh, that you don't even want to go to because it's just so, so no, full, of, you, so full of nonsense, you know? Oh and they're doing the same thing, and this is either a conscious or unconscious, I don't know, it, it may be a deliberate disinformation campaign to it make is. anybody who questions the official story seem like a nutcase, oh, you're one of those uh, actors people. I, I mean, there's already a kind of actor, you know, you're one of the staged actors people like if you question it at all and these people are directly responsible who and they suppose they're they're, they're going to a conspiracy theory extreme you know what i mean it's like the extreme fringe end of conspiracy theories where it didn't actually happen none of it happened you know it doesn't exist those people don't exist they live somewhere else the whole thing was like a massive stage production you know what i mean if you look behind those trees you can see the the, the, the lights and the cameras and the makeup artists you know uh they take it to ridiculous extremes and tar anybody who says, hang on a minute, this doesn't make sense. And they're doing this, they started with Sandy Hook and they're doing the same thing with the Boston Marathon. And they've tried to say that this guy who got his legs blown off, what's his name, Neil? Uh, Jeff, Jeff Bauman. Jeff Bauman is an Iraq war vet, Nick, Nick Vogt. Yeah. Who 
had his legs amputated because he went to Iraq. He's a double, uh, double leg amputee. For, for completely the wrong reasons, obviously. And uh, they're trying to say that those two are the same people when all you have to do is check and see that they're not the same people. They don't even look anything alike at all. So the whole stage thing, and you know, I, mean, I don't, don't even want to go into it because it's so obvious. There is nothing staged. There are no actors. There were no actors at the Boston Marathon bombing. None of those people were placed there. No one was fitting anybody up with fake prosthetic bloody limbs. Get over it. Shut up. Whatever. You're annoying my existence <laughs> right now. So just, you know, if you're a hero, it's slap you. <laughs> Neil, say something before I uh, say something. Yeah, I don't think I'll be able to hold Joe back. So um, if you do say something stupid... Good luck to you. Verbally eviscerate those asshats. Oh my god, dude. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, if it's, I mean, I mean, they're almost worse than the people who perpetrate the damn attacks in the first place. I mean, I mean, denying that they even happened—that's just criminal, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, that um, that army unit I was talking about—the guys who were the peers, uniformed with, oh, no. you know, were present at the finish line. Um, who may or may not be from Craft International. Or, I don't think they are because there's a guy, uh, a senator has come out and said... Are you that, saying that Kraft Foods is now part of the security industry? <laughs> Kraft International. No. It's Kraft we make cheese and mercenaries. No, it's think Kraft with a C. Think, <laughs> think, think Blackwater yeah. or Ravenwood. Yeah, People Ravenwood. like them. Think an ex-army, US, ex-U.S. military sniper who was, you know... Best sniper of 2011 or something. Kill, who, I mean, it's 150 just, confirmed kills. Very impressive. Yeah. Well, whatever. One of these, you know, jumped up, you know, serial killers uh, who left the. What army. do you expect? He's a fucking sniper. Exactly. He's a psycho sniper, and he goes and forms a. You know, he leaves the military and goes and tries to make money off the Pentagon from Pentagon contracts by, by forming a security contractor yeah. company gets a bunch of his buddies together and they all provide training courses and tell people how to kill other people most effectively and you know you know good, it's, it's, good, it's good American business model. It's it's a it's a, it's a mercenaries market these days with yeah. the terror the ubiquitous terror all around. I mean if you want to start a company, start a mercenary company if you've got the no, just security I, consulting. You know? I, I'm starting to lean towards them not being a security company slash mercenaries because there's a photo of a group of them at the end helping out in the aftermath, or at least they're standing around, and they have the letters marked on their back, CST. Mm-hmm. Um, the senator who said that they were this part of this anti-elite, uh, anti, I wish, elite anti-terror unit, uh, said they were from the 24th National Guard WMD CST team, and that they were sent in response, but of course we know they weren't. There were at least two of them photographed there in the exact spot where the bomb went off. Right Now, they were due to be dismantled. What do you mean dismantled? The U.S. Defense Department was poised as recently as last month to dismantle a National Guard crisis team that assisted in the emergency response to the bombings at Monday's Boston Marathon. Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel on March 29 informed lawmakers in writing of plans to dismantle the New York-based 24th National Guard weapons mass destruction civil support team as well as a similar WMD unit housed in Florida. Of course, now that they're being held as heroes, it's not going to happen. They've got unlimited budget access. So mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. Can we have a Queen Bono? 
Interesting. Give me a C. Can I get a hell yeah? Yeah. So what we're dealing with here. Well, I mean, like if, if you if you if you are uh, an, a part of an elite anti-terrorist unit, and then a terrorist attack goes on right under your nose, you don't get to say elite anymore. Like yeah. the, the elite gets tagged off. They're an anti-terrorist unit because I mean, like when you when you don't stop it, you, you can't be elite anymore. All right. I just want people to think about one thing. <clears throat> I'm going to play something to help you think. I want you to think about the fact that. On the day of the Boston Marathon bombs, there was clearly a drill going on with spotters on the roofs and, uh, you know, they were preparing for some kind of, or staging or some kind of a, a, a pretend attack. They were in place to to deal with that. Different security personnel were in place to deal with that. And the Boston Globe sent out a message that security force personnel had said that there was going to be an explosion directly opposite the library where the bomb, the first bomb actually went off. Actually, keep that thought in mind. I'll say it again, actually, because I've got a call. Hi, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, yes, sir. I'm calling from Tacoma. My name is Jamar. Hi, Jamar. Um, uh, this Boston thing to me is like a it's 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 very very obvious that like they're doing something and and I I I'll give them more credit for what they did in the past and what they're doing now is more sloppy and it's like I see my fellow Americans and they don't notice it and when I say certain things you know they don't get it you know and like you know I'm I'm a student. That, not egotistically, but I'm a student of like I, I, I'm really interested in the Kennedy assassination, and like a lot of things from that, from that I learned from what's going on with this, and 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 like it's just not they're sloppy, you know. I mean, like this is obvious what's going on. They would talk about what's going on in Waco and Texas and comments and stuff. It's like they're trying to distract you from what's going on from you know what's really going on, you know, and just like. I can't even talk about the other Americans about it because they just look at me like I'm stupid. Yeah, it's so, far from it. But maybe maybe that answers your your comment about it being sloppy. Maybe it's only sloppy for people who can see. Maybe there's so many Americans that can't see it that it's you know it's just right for them in terms of you know fooling them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, to, and to a certain yeah. degree, they're always sloppy. You know, I mean, there's always holes in they're their not holes in their story. You know? Yeah, they're not creative, but that's that's the nature of the beast, if you know what I mean. They don't they don't have that kind of creativity, but you. But they I don't mean, have to be, as it turns out. Yeah, if it worked once, try it again. I mean, you people know? who are into killing other people generally don't have that creative spark within them. You know what I mean? The creative spark is yeah. to create things, not destroy. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and also you made you 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 wrote that article about uh, JFK and the fucking crazies. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you, you know, and I, I read that, and not like it made a lot of sense to me. You know, I went to work, and I had to go through things that, like, you know, you work, you know, every day, and you have to do what you have to do. You know what I'm saying? But you try to balance it out. I try to balance out what I do. I try not to. Uh, I try to. I try to. You know, not live to work, but you know, I mean. You know, I try to work so I can live, you know. So, so like, 
you know, you guys, what you guys do, like, you know, SOT, you know what I'm saying? Like, like people can know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. it, right now, right now in America, it's bad. And the reason why I know it's bad is because when I talk to other people, people that I'm close to, they don't get it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, like Boston, this is this Boston whole thing. They don't get it. And this was sloppy. This was nothing like the Kennedy assassination, or all these other false flag operations, 9-11 or anything. It's sloppy. You know what I'm saying? This is like really like I mean we already saw all these I mean, I know you guys probably saw the suspect pictures that I saw. Pictures mm-hmm. of, you know, operatives, you know what I'm saying, contractors or whatever it may be. I mean like you could see some of this stuff on uh info info wars and those guys are full of shit. Yeah. You know, I mean like you know that. I don't support Alex Jones, but I mean like, you know, I mean, come on. You know what I'm saying? Something here is not adding up, and everybody's falling for it. I think that the big premise of all of this is comics. Well, you could be onto something there. Um, I, in fact, we might want to just quickly kind of talk about that, you know? Yeah, that's a good, good introduction to it. So thanks for your call, Jamar. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Take it easy, bro. Take it easy. Be safe. All right. You too. <clears throat> yeah, so, um, well, back to my point, I was basically saying, okay, there was a drill, there was uh, the tweet saying that there was going to be a bomb, uh, an explosion, exactly where there was an explosion two hours later, there was a drill going on, the whole thing was encased in the idea of a drill, and a bomb went off where it seems the drill had planned for a bomb to go off. That seems to be the take-home message, and I'm just going to play a quick uh, thing from the uh, quick audio clip from the London uh, tube bombings right now so you can make your own connections. Uh, today we were running an exercise for a company, bearing in mind I'm now in the private sector, and we sat everybody down in the city, a thousand people involved in the whole organization, but the crisis team, and the most peculiar thing was we based our scenario on the simultaneous attacks on the underground and mainline station. So we had to suddenly switch an exercise from fictional to real. And one of the first things is Get that bureau number. When you have a list of people missing, tell them. And it took a long time. Just to get this right, you were actually working today on an exercise that envisioned yes. virtually this scenario. Uh, almost precisely. I was up until 2 o'clock this morning because it, it's our job. My own company, Visor Consultants, we specialize in helping people to get their crisis management response. How do you jump from slow time thinking to quick time doing? And we chose a scenario with their assistance, which is based on a terrorist attack because they're very close to... Uh, a property occupied by Jewish businessmen. They're in the city, and there are more American banks in the city than there are in the whole of New York. A logical thing to do. And it, I've still got how, the... I, I, how extraordinary <laughs> today must feel for you as, as it unfolds. Yeah, how extraordinary it must have felt to realize that, you know, uh, the drill that you had planned uh, actually happened in real time to go from drill to real time scenario exactly as you had planned it, exactly as someone had planned it. And that's, that's the point. There was a drill going on in Boston that there would be a bomb uh, exactly where there was a bomb. And the point of that is to create, the point of putting the drill around that is to allow for the personnel that need to be in, the people who are behind the bombing, to be there to control it, to control the immediate aftermath and make sure that nothing, because you can't just go, you can't just be one guy if you're, if you're a member of some <clears throat> secret, murky, dirty um, U.S. intel agency that is t- 
tasked or that desires to control the population through terrorism and wants to plant a bomb somewhere, you can't just drop a bomb and walk away, you know, leave it there the night before and let it blow up. Because, I mean, or leave it there an hour before or whatever. Someone might find it, you know. A policeman, if you don't, if you don't tell anybody else, if you don't t- tell all of the enforcement uh, the police officers that are around, if they're not all in on it, the chances are that they're going to find it, that it's not going to go the way you planned it. You want to plan it quite meticulously, right? You want to make sure it happens. And you want to make sure you get away with it. And you want to make sure the patties that you've set up yeah. get hit for it, get, get the rap for it, right? You want to make sure of all these things. You can't just drop the bomb and walk away. You have to plan it. So one of the, obviously they have decided that one of the best ways to do that is to plan a drill around it because drills are needed because there's terrorism, right? And then they create the reality of terrorism by planting a bomb. And then you can have more drills, more drills. You can you expand the reach of the drills across the entire U.S. You can have a drill, an emergency terror drill at any time in any city across the U.S. now because there have been bombs, because there is a real terror threat, which means you can, you can plant more bombs wherever you want and have your people in place to control the entire situation and set it up the way you want the, the question that, that immediately strikes my mind is how incompetent are these douchebags, to be honest? <clears throat> I mean, you have this area surrounded by police, bomb-sniffing dogs, all of the technology that they've been developing for the last 11 years after the, the 9-11 attacks, everything converging on this one point, and they still can't stop the <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, what's wrong with these people? It's incompetence. It's grotesque incompetence. Well, it's to control it, but the problem is that it's a, there's a hierarchy, you know? I mean, your average, your average policeman in Boston defers to the FBI, mm. you know, or defers to the guys in the homeland suits. Homeland security. The homeland security. The guys in the suits, they're the ones who do it. So if they, whatever they say goes, and they're the guys who are behind it. I mean, you dress in a suit, you have a security clearance, you've got your dark glasses on. You get enough of your people in like that, and uh, you can do what you want. You can you can you can lead the the average copper around by the nose. We got another call here. Hi, caller. What's your name? And where are you calling from? Hey, this is Chris. I'm calling from the United States of Insanity. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, dude. Hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah, you guys are talking about uh, these drills and incompetence and so forth and so on. I thought I could uh, actually have experience in this. I could probably give a perspective of how these things are actually conducted, you know, uh, uh, kind of an awareness kind of a thing. Um, My experience actually is in the military. The military actually goes through the same type of drills, you know, terrorism drills, uh, natural disaster drills, and... One of the things when I'm looking at the Boston, when, you, when you're looking at the, these different uh, scenarios that involve drills, is when you're actually on the ground and going through it, you actually begin to understand why it is that these things are ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's uh, so many holes. Like the, the previous caller had said, it was sloppy. One of the reasons is is because when they throw this thing together, whenever they do drills, it's always thrown in with multiple agencies that you've never actually done anything with mm-hmm. before previously. You know, and when you're going through it, they tell you, for example, um, okay, we're going to have an earthquake simulation, okay? Uh, this whole area is going, you know, and they're going to have a different No one knows what's going on. Never. Mm-hmm. You're not using your, the same guys you do you know, on a regular basis. Mm. Um, everything is different. Sometimes you're using a SWAT team from another city. Mm. <laughs> I mean, well, they need yeah. to get their training in as well. This is how these things are thrown together. Mm-hmm. It, none but, of it is done as it will actually be done in reality. 
They try to fix five or six different things at one time. Well, this mm-hmm. guy needs some training. We've got a National Guard unit in from Alaska. They're going to be the EMTs or whatever. And this is all how it's compiled together. So literally when you're going out there and you're a response force, you're sitting there like, what the heck is going on? Who are these guys? What's go-? You know what I'm saying? Nobody knows what's going on. So this is a perfect opportunity for an actual terrorist attack. Because everybody is, you might have five, six, seven different agencies. Some of them are not even from your state. Some of them are, like you said, contractors or consultants. But you never know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on as a mm-hmm. whole. Yeah. So this is actually the reality when you're actually there on the ground. Is, and, I, and to this day, I don't even know why that this is how they do things. They call it crisis management, uh, incident yeah. management, and so forth and so on. They give it a lot of different names, but the point is, it's all the same thing, and none of it ever makes any sense. Yeah, well, here's the answer to that sense. question. The reason it's like that way is because they're not serious about it. I mean, well, if they were serious about, if they were really serious about anti-terrorism and and training people and having these training exercises, they wouldn't do it in this bullshit way. Yeah, it's like you're saying, Chris. Exactly. That basically, if they bring in someone from Alaska, from two states away, or something like that, what use is that? for the event where it's going to say, – say they bring it into Boston. What use is having a, a team from Alaska in there for, for a training, for a drill or emergency management uh, for the eventuality where something real would happen in Boston? It's only going to be the local people in Boston who deal with it. You're not going to fly in you know, in the immediate aftermath. You're not going to have access to people from two states away or from Alaska. They're not going to be right there on the scene. So what's the point in even training with those people? Well, the justification that they give on it is, well, they also need some training as well because they're not going to get this coverage where they're at anytime soon. So we'll bring them in, and that way they can get some training as well. Yeah, but what use is that for the local local law enforcement to have to mix it in with other people from miles away when they're, it's only the local people who are going to be left left with a problem when it happens for real in the moment? Well, that's the thing. Get some training, you know. I mean, come on. Some training? I mean, this is... Like, if they were serious, it would be like, you know, pull pull guys in for, you know, an entire month and do a series of exercises and get them to know each other and all bunk together and stuff like that and, and you know, go around the country with it. I mean, they were really serious about this. There are, well, exactly. there are serious it's a, it's the It's the way that they continually have changed it. Now, I've been out of it for, you know, uh, quite a few years now, but even when I was in, this was when there was this uh, – it, it was basically – uh, an integration on mostly military installations. There was an integration with DHS, you know, doing these mass exercises, you know, on a military installation and stuff like this. And it was everything was completely confusing. Once, once this integration with, because uh, with DHS under this new way of doing training or or scenarios, um, everything train, uh, changed drastically. I mean, from one drill to the next. You never knew what was going on. They never kept with the same things. They were they they would have some of the weirdest uh, uh, limitations uh, on the exercise in place. Uh, an example was is that okay, you guys uh, there's casualties, but you're, when there are casualties, don't you guys go in there and get them? Because the unit that's going to come in from the other side and go in and get you know what I'm saying. In other words, they're putting limitations on how it's going to be reacted to. So you, you know can what, react what is, to it normally. It's yeah, just, you know your story out of confusion. Is- you know what your story is reminding me of? The the introductory uh, chapter from, from Ponerology, where he talks about, you know, imagine 
the, the professor comes in and he's this new professor and he's never oh, yeah, never yeah. been in academia before. And you know, I mean, as as military officers and stuff like that, you're sitting there and you're training, you're training or whatever. You know, you're focused on your job, and then all of a sudden, some suit comes in who's probably appointed for political reasons, and he's going to tell you how, how to do your job, how to do your job, and design the uh, the curriculum, so to speak, of the new order. And of course, he doesn't know anything about it because he's never been in a crisis. He doesn't know anything. He, you know, I mean. So this is the, what you're talking about. It reminds me of that in the chapter in Potterology where he describes the new professor. It all it also no, reminds yeah, it's, reminds very, it's it is very much similar. But and you know, most of the guys on the ground is my personal opinion that most civilian agencies, like whoever's doing these these drills, you know, and, and the civilian agencies, it's probably the same thing because all this gets coordinated through DHS in one way or another. This was a new system, you know, back some years ago as they were reintegrating it. That if it happened mm-hmm. on on American soil, even if it was a military installation, there was a coordination through DHS. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing is nothing but utter confusion, absolutely utter confusion. It's like having, it's like getting a lot of little children out to play, and then you're just telling them, okay, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. You know what I'm saying? There's no real mm-hmm. training in it. You know what I'm saying? And literally, we would, ref- we would refer to it as going to go play in the sandbox. This is yeah. exactly what it felt like. We're just being told what to do, or you know what I mean? There was, yeah. It was ridiculous. Complete and utter confusion and totally ridiculous. And prior to that, whenever there was any kind of training, um, you actually did work with, uh, you know, uh, the local law enforcement or the local units that were there, and they would change depending on who was on, a, uh, what rotation they were on. But, you know, if it was an example, um in Fort Lewis, you would have to work with, you know, Pierce County and Tacoma PD. You know, they would also come in. You'd also have National Guard unit that did your, your hazmat and whatnot and stuff like that. So, but after DHS, I had this integration through crisis management with DHS, it, it's, I mean, I hated it. You know, before it wasn't too bad, but what's happened is just like, you got to be kidding me because nobody knows what's going on. I mean, you literally don't know what's going on from one minute to the next. And they would say, oh, if you're going to react to something in one way, they'd say, okay, you guys don't do that. Someone else is going to do something. You know what I mean? In other words, yeah. if the whole goal was let it happen organically, and then afterwards giving my after-action report and critique of what I did wrong, or here's what's supposed to happen, here's what did happen, what could be improved, <laughs> what shouldn't be done later. But that's not what they would allow to happen. It would just be, no, stop what you're doing. Someone else is going to do something. You guys just go over here and... Nobody knew what was going on. In other words, nothing was done according to reality. It was, well, can I, my opinion, can I ask you? farce. And so when I see what happens in Boston or, uh, you, you know, you hear this stuff about the Oklahoma City bombing, apparently there was some sort of drill there, I can definitely see why these things happen. Because nobody knows what the hell's going on. But everybody mm-hmm. thinks that everyone who's there is supposed to be there. Yeah. You know what I mean? What, 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 what branch of the service were you in? Army. You know what was your what was your military uh, operational specialty or whatever they call it? Military you know? police. Yeah, so so you were like military police. Yeah. So I mean, like, how did how did those kind of training scenarios compare to your normal, um, you know, I- internal military training scenarios? Um. Well, it's military police are a little bit different. Um, depends on what you're doing. The right. thing is, is when your, your basic stuff that you, you train on in the, in, you know, as, as military police, being what type of unit are you in a line unit or a garrison unit? You know what I mean? Right. 
lot of people don't know about military police, but a line, a line unit, you're going to train a lot of infantry stuff. Um, right. You will get training on, on law enforcement, but you're going to go through a rotation. So you're right. going to go through, you, you work your law enforcement, and you, you train up for your uh, your uh, garrison. You train up for your, you know, and then you actually do your field work, and you got to get your, your stats up. Right. you got to go through training, all that right. kind of stuff. But the point is, is that when you do this, this garrison-type crisis management, Right. You rely on all the skills that you that you learn, but the entire the entire way that everything goes down is totally ass backwards. Pardon my French. You know right, I mean? because of the inclusion of, of like DHS, because of the inclusion of DHS. But my question is kind of like, um, were the was the training more structured and better internally in the military when you were doing your 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 various training? Uh, yes, the military is, is very top. Right, the military is, is very top notch training. I mean, you know, it's high, broken down body style. Standard. It's Made for right. idiots, if you know what I mean. You're going to yeah. learn something out of it. it it's very yeah. good training. You give uh, task conditions and standards. They give you a task. Here's a condition. Here's a standard. And you, you know, walk, walk, run, uh, you crawl, walk, run. Had it until you get it. You're proficient at it. You're good. This was right. nothing more than a big play date, if that makes any sense. Right. Exactly. So, which so kind of like real. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't make any sense. But that kind of like. Actually, it does. It totally makes sense. It's what Lobachevsky was talking about, the type of stuff that happens right. when psychopaths take over. What they do is they, they upwardly adjust people who are unskilled, put them into positions of power, and then they go around, and now suddenly they're telling soldiers how to do their job. I mean, here you are, your military, your, your operational specialty is you know uh, policing, and then some guy from the DHS who's a bureaucrat is going to come in and tell you how to do your job. When I would imagine that the military training would probably be a little bit more optimized and probably much more well tested than what some you know douchebag from the DHS decides to come in and say, and that's like the typical thing that Lobachevsky was describing in political ponderology, exactly what would happen and exactly what I think you're saying you know did happen that you noticed you know that these people were coming in and basically making they were just screwing the pooch all over the place. And there was nothing, you know, there was nothing well, you could I, do about it. Well, I give a better perspective for you. It's a complete wrong impression, although you're, you're very accurate, is there was no one person from DHS actually giving orders. This is, this is the beauty of it and, and why it's um, – they bring in all these people without a command structure. Right. There is no accountability. Right. There is no one person to blame if something goes wrong. You know right. what I mean? See, it, it's, it's a part of a DHS program of integrating right. with the DHS – you know their program, or, 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 or using their whatever terminology, whatever protocols that they use, and so forth. And the DHS at that time was used to be was used for a coordinator between different law enforcement agencies. Right. But the reality of it is that there is nobody in charge. Everybody thinks everyone who's at the at the top at a certain level of chain of command thinks that they're in charge or not in charge when they're held to be accountable. Yeah, it's I mean that's the kind of nothing by a large play date. There's nothing structured at all. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that you expect because there's like there's a constant revolving door of yeah. of, of psychopaths getting in favor and then falling out of favor. So I mean that's just a, you know really interesting. You know I mean they're just basically making a big mess of it. You know this is the same well, kind I know of stuff. I, I read from from Gordon Duff had a uh, I think it was either on SOT or it was on a Veterans Day where he had said that. Uh, a lot of this type of training and stuff actually came from Israel. I don't know which article it was, but I'm almost positive that it was one of the articles on SOT. It was written by Gordon Duff, and it might have been on Press TV. But anyway, I had actually heard that rumor as well while I was in. 
Here, here's the thing. I mean, the Israelis right now are kind of like, I don't know, they're, they're, everyone's like, oh, I studied Krav Maga, so I must be a badass now. And yeah, I mean, Krav Maga is kind of good because it took from a couple of good martial arts, great, fine, whatever. But I mean, the Israeli military is not such badasses. You know, I mean, it's not just because the training program comes from them doesn't really mean much of anything. I mean, when they go in to deal with terrorists, they go in with the Apaches and, you know, they've got their whole little fleet of F-16s that we gave them and their missiles and shit like that. I mean, their training programs are, are not necessarily so super good. That's no, like I mean, you know, absolutely. It's <laughs> uh, the Israelis. Um, yeah. I've never actually I done mean, any work with them personally, but I have yeah. actually talked to a lot of guys who actually have. They're not bad. I mean, it's no different oh. than ours. You know what I mean? They're, Seriously. Yeah, it's a military. <laughs> military training's military training is kind of consistent across the board for most, yeah. you know, first world nations. You know, they all share information. You know, I mean, personally, I'm. I, I think that the American military is better, but that's just because I'm an American. And I'm going to play America. Well, I can I'm tell you this it. right now: the American, the French, the British, and the Germans are pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, that's just from yeah. personal experience of chatting with them. As far as the tougher ones, well, the Ukrainians are probably the toughest. These guys wake up in the morning and they drink vodka for breakfast. Yeah. So, <laughs> these guys are pretty... Ukrainians. Ukrainians? Oh, yeah, dude. The Russians, man, they're, they're, they're pretty infamous in the... Uh, Chris, how long, did, how long did you uh, serve and, and when? Uh, I did eight years from '02 to '09. Okay. So it's fairly recent, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like I've been out for a long time now. <laughs> yeah. Half the time was in as uh uh in a line unit, the other half was in garrisons. But anyway, like I said, I just thought I'd bring it up, you know, I see this stuff going on and I can see that a lot of people don't really understand what reality is like whenever you're having these law enforcement terrorism drills. Yeah, man, uh, you pretty, people just some pretty interesting don't understand things. why or how something like this could happen. And uh-huh. when I watched, I was like, I know exactly what was going on. I mean, I've, I've been in that predicament. You don't know what's going on. And honestly, it's no different than in Iraq. You know, when we were over in Iraq, uh, many times you got groups of guys, you know, that come in. Uh, they're involved in something. You've got to support them in, in some way. You have no idea who they really are. You know what I mean? There's this air of, I don't even know who these guys are, but I'm told that they're important and I have to, yeah, transport them orders. from point A to point B, and I don't even know why I'm doing it. Or i got to pick them up in the middle of a desert or, you know, or some location. You don't really know what's going on. This is how things are being done because prior prior to, to – I came in in 2002. We were still quite a bit old school. We were switching into uh, the new, new army, the new way of doing things. The new way of doing things is complete unaccountability. That's the best way I can explain it, complete unaccountability. You've really got to watch your own ass. If someone tells you to get something done, normally you follow an order. If you know that something doesn't sound right and you know that you may be in trouble for it, you need to go ahead and write an email parroting that, what, that order back to them. Oh, uh, uh, sir, I, I remember you told me X, Y, and Z. Um, I just want to let you know that this may you know, not be a good idea. I'll continue. If you don't mean to do it, you know, call me back. So you send him that email. You see what I'm saying? And then mm-hmm, if it's right. something that you that you may be accountable for, he'll always be like, oh, yeah, I changed your mind. Don't do that. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So you know that there's this, yeah, you, this, you have this to cover your culture. ass. Because... 
there's this culture of not being accountable, giving an order of, of whatever the case is, and I, I can't really explain it in, in, in a short period of time. No, we you know, but we understand. But there's what you're a culture saying, of you really got to well, got to watch your ass because there's no accountability up top. Right. There really is. This is the kind of stuff that Lobachevsky was describing happens in you know yeah, it, it, it's, it's the way standards start slipping when psychopaths take over, yeah. and it's just yeah. two things. On the one hand, everyone's confused. What the hell, you know? And then they're they're not actually able to uh, do what they're supposed to do. Right. And then at the same time, all the confusion that creates gives the psychopaths their ins. To do for yeah, them to get things done. Everyone's so busy, you know, chasing their own tail half the time that they can't actually stop for a minute and say, "Hey, wait a minute, this guy's actually an asswipe, and he needs to go." Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks for your thanks for your call and your your experience sharing your experience there, Chris. That was uh, no problem. Dad. Thanks for your show and all the work you guys do there. It's hot. All right. All right. Thanks, man. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Yeah. I mean, it, what Chris is just saying there pretty much fits with with what we were thinking, which is that, you know, when they have these kind of drills and these emergency <clears throat> management situations, that it's a free-for-all. Far, which, from, yeah. far from creating a pinpointed response you yeah. know, by by practicing it, and then in future right. we'll, we'll have a great system in place where we just got to say go and everyone knows what they no, got to do. It creates a situation where there's chaos. Right. There's chaos, but that chaos is perfect for yeah. people to work their nefarious right. There's ways. terrorism stuff, you know. I mean, because there's no real terrorists, you know. I mean, yeah, absolutely. There are no, no real terrorists. Um, but getting back to Jamar, there a previous caller who uh, brought up uh, the idea that this this startling idea that we've never heard before. That <laughs> I'm just pretending. <clears throat> the idea that um, they, they might be doing all this. That there's some kind of uh, that the whole point to these kind of uh, terror attacks or terror plot, terror scares is to condition the people to be more dependent and look to uh, authority, be more dependent on and look to authority for uh, for protection. And the reason that the powers that be or whatever are doing this is because there is a cosmic threat out there in the form of fireballs, fire and brimstone, uh, that, as we've mentioned, <coughs> mentioned on previous shows, has increased almost double year on year in the past seven or eight years, the amount of fireballs and meteorites in the sky. And we had the Russian uh, explosion uh, just, I think it was just last month, right? Um, February. What, what a was it late cover. February? February 15th. It's actually two months to the day of the Boston. Hang on, are you telling me this one? design a better cover than this fake terrorism stuff because I mean I have a feeling that there's going to be large pockets of people who are going to be at till the very end thinking that all the things exploding around them have to do with terrorist bombs. Terror, terrorist bombs. You know, they're not going to they're not going to understand. They're going to be like what's happening? Why are the terrorists blowing up so many things? You could do a great cartoon on that, you know, I mean, like a mom and pop uh, America sitting in their in their home, you know, and like Fireballs blowing up around him, and, and one of them saying to the other, damn terrorists. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Terrorista! 
you know? Uh, yeah, but so Jamar's reference was the one in uh, just a couple of days after the Boston Marathon bombings was the explosion of the fertilizer factory in near West Texas, between West and Waco, Texas. That happened, you know, again, very coincidentally around the time of the anniversary of the Waco, the attack and murder of people in Waco by the, the ATF and the Oklahoma City bombing. And, you know, we could get into all sorts of theories about that, but... about It actually took place, more or less, within a few miles. It was really close to where the compound at Mount Carmel was. Mm-hmm. So it was north of Waco and south, just south of the town of West, which is exactly where Mount Carmel is located. Is Mount Carmel near Molasses Junction? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, it, was, it was more or less pinpoint. To, 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 to where the, the Waco compound. Wow. Yeah, so, and the thing about it is, is that we have decided, based on analysis of the videos, the few videos that are available of that impact, that it was most likely a meteorite impact. It was not a fertilizer explosion. Uh, and just for anybody who's wondering, the reason why it wasn't seen across a wide area was because it was <clears throat> very low cloud cover. So it wouldn't have been seen across a wide area as it came in. And once it broke cloud cover, there would have been a fraction of a second to see it before it hit the ground. How many people died? Uh, Fifteen. and uh, So more than the Boston? Yeah. Yeah. And why isn't that all over the news? Because Because it it wasn't evil terrorists. Isn't it a tragedy when people die? I mean, just purely mathematics here. Mm -hmm. You know, 15 people versus what was it, three? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, homes were destroyed? A lot. There's a whole block. Of old people's homes, yeah, and um, so, and the thing about it is, interestingly, in 2009 and 2012, in 2009, they were picking up meteor rocks from in the area and fields around West Texas, because there was a meteorite seen over that area that went down in that area. So a meteorite exploded over West Texas three, four years ago, and another one was seen over West Texas over Waco uh, six months ago last year. So it's not exactly rare. It's happened twice, at least twice before, and probably more given the amount of fireballs that are in the sky. Twice before in that area in the past four years, and now one has most likely hit the ground, and it happens right a few days after the Boston bombing. And maybe it's just a response to the Boston bombing. Maybe if you want to get all kind of like spiritual and esoteric here and, and weird and stuff, you can say like this is the this is God, Allah, Buddha, or the universe, or whoever you know, Superman's response to the evil of the Boston bombing, which is a false flag attack on the American people. Here's the cosmos. Not really, hel- Dobbs. Not really helping in a way. It's kind of like just blowing them, blowing them up even more. But it's kind of like um, it's killing more of them. But maybe it's a wake-up call, you know, to people. Uh, like as I was saying before, the whole idea of false terror attacks is to make people dependent on authority and to look to them for their protection when they can't be protected by authorities <clears throat> from the cosmic threat. And the cosmic threat comes in and says, hi, don't forget about me. You can do bugger all about this. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep blowing you all up here. Just FYI, we got a call here. Hi, caller. What's your name? And where are you calling from? Hi, this is uh, Rob from New Jersey. Say that again. What's your name? Yeah, this is Rob from New Jersey. Hey, Rob. How's it going? Hey. Hey, that's good. Actually, I just want to reiterate the point Chris has mentioned. Uh, that's how exactly all corporations work. It's uh, standard procedure because every corporation does exactly the same thing in all levels. They try to what they call experts from outside 
to reassess the uh, any division or company or any of the procedures. So when these third-party companies come, they have only one intention. Nobody knows what is the aim of the changes they bring in, but they come up and they tell you some procedures. Uh-huh. Now, when these procedures are implemented, everybody knows that it's going to be crack. But mm-hmm. the problem is the whole management culture in U.S. is pretty much bootlicking. So if a manager doesn't do what he has been told, somebody else will do it. Mm-hmm. So the structure is just like every layer, the structure is there. The end result is nobody knows who benefits from what is the aim. Uh, I can tell you one example. I have seen a scenario where literally a, a specific set of groups were removed from the job, from the lowest level to the CEO level. Probably you must be wondering why the heck, what the heck going on. But mm-hmm. the whenever they introduced these third-party groups, third-party external companies, and they insert in pocket-wise, pocket-wise, and then ultimately they achieve what they want to achieve. But for a normal person, it's completely confusing. You really don't know what's going on. And they mm-hmm. can do it pretty easily because if you look at LinkedIn, in LinkedIn, if each person, they say, they actually, they claim that in four or five connections, they can connect anybody in the professional uh, uh, groups. That means if they have a simple application like LinkedIn, which is pretty common in, even in Facebook, somebody who is, has the access, they can easily look at who is connected to what. And if they have the profile of the people, that means who is the handler, what is the weaknesses, when he's joined, when he has gone out, they can easily pull the, uh, this type of circuses they are doing. It's pretty easy mm-hmm. because they have a sock, they have, nowadays it's pretty easy. Even a common man can use Hadoop type of architecture to mass billions of records they can process pretty easily. So these companies like Pentagon, they have these type of applications for 40, 50 years at least. And they have everything in fingertips and they can hire some script writer and then create these type of things pretty easily. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, I mean, that's basically what Chris has been saying, and that when they bring in right. external companies, it's for it's for a uh, it's completely useless. It destroys the system in place, which is based on people knowing their jobs and doing their jobs well, and they come in with this ridiculous psychopathic kind of uh, ideology of how to improve things, and it messes everything up. It must be so so infuriating for people who uh, they built up. A knowledge base over years, over decades, and then some twit comes in and says, "From now on, this is how it's going to be." Well, I mean, it, and it's infuriating. You can't do anything about it because, well, yeah. he's my superior. I guess I got to follow him. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it's why psychopathic governments never succeed for very long. They no, eating themselves up because, of course, they're they're, they're fundamentally incompetent um, in almost every description of the word, except for fooling people into thinking that they're normal. I mean, they're very good at that, but you know, you put them in charge of an economy, they'll tank it. You put them in charge of a military, they'll get everybody killed. You know, I mean, great job, Brownie. You remember that one, what Katrina? Yeah, it was a FEMA director. Yeah, yeah. absolutely screwed up. Balls. Yeah, all, these great, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, so these guys are, they're, they're just, they're fundamentally incompetent, and they, and they cause the governments to fail, which is why, you know, Aldous Huxley, I think, said something along the lines of there's no reason why a truly scientific dictatorship should ever be, you know, usurped or whatever it was, or, you know, collapse. It should go on in perpetuity. But he didn't understand polarization, and that's basically what happens to all dictatorships. Eventually they fall, you know. I mean, they might last the lifetime of somebody, you know. Like kind of like what we saw in, in the Soviet Union, it eventually crumbled from within, just rotted. Rao, you're in the no, states, I, right? New Jersey, right? I'm in New Jersey. Jersey. New Jersey. Well, that's not far from Boston. Uh, did Did you notice? I mean, was there any kind of uh, what was it like for you this week? It's been a crazy week. Did you notice uh, actually, I didn't switch on the. Actually, I didn't switch on the radio that much. You, you I know that you. Yeah, I didn't really listen to the radio this week, so I didn't know. But again, it's the same story goes on. The problem is the entire management structure, whether it is corporate, whether it is private sector, or whether it is government or military, the fundamental thing any manager looks hiring anybody is whether this guy will listen to me or not, as simple as that. See, the entire yeah. structure is so corrupted from top to bottom. Nobody looks two levels above him, two levels below him. The only thing they look at it, say their ass, who is doing what? That's it. So yeah. when you have that type of mindset, you add the mixture of external agencies, and you have a software sitting which can clearly see who is doing what, who's betting for whom. That means betting means it's not real betting. You go into a lunchroom, talk something over it, you get a, some little clue, and you go and play with that little clue. As long as things go well, keep quiet. When things blow on the face, dump it on somebody. This is a standard drama goes in every corporation. Yeah. It's pretty easy in this type of mindset. Yeah, okay, we're, thanks for your call, Rao. We're, we're gonna we, we've got okay, to wrap our show up soon, so we're gonna say take care and thanks for thanks calling for in. Calling in man. Take it easy, bro. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Right, bye. Um, have you got something to say there, Neil? Dunkin' yeah. Donuts. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell us that this, story. This was just this was okay. Right, so yeah. the manhunt is underway. Friday, Boston's on lockdown. Right. Whoa, serious. Drones overhead. With all those police, with all those police there, Dunkin' Donuts. The only killing. businesses that were allowed to open in the whole city were Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I'm not kidding. No. This is not satire. This is not The Onion. Dunkin' Donuts in certain Boston areas stay open to serve police during city lockdown. Oh, my God. How cliche is that? That's ridiculous. I mean, <clears throat> it's a little, it's a little ridiculous things that really... You know, well, no, the, thing is, get the thing is, is that, that, you know, considering what we know about gluten, I think maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> I didn't say yeah. that. What? Oh, no. Donuts are great. Donuts are great. Yeah. I think cops should get free donuts. They do. Yeah. Free and, donuts, and free, free extra coffee. large cappuccinos. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Go yeah. for it. Yeah. And maybe even like Coca-Cola or something. Or yeah, Spartan. Spartan's good, yeah. man. Diet Coke. Yeah, we need to we need to keep them healthy there. So keep them, give them some diet coke too. Yeah, diet coke, donuts, and coffee all mixed together. They just they just blend it up and give them in like food bags, you know, like with tubes on them. <laughs> and just keep them going, you know. Um, sorry, sorry, Danny, policeman, right there. 
Uh, but you shouldn't be you shouldn't be in donuts. Yes, I am. Sure. Any good policemen out there. So um <clears throat> this um week has been an interesting week. Sure um has. and to sum up what we've been saying, uh the Boston bombing Boston Marathon bombing fits the profile of a false flag attack, of which there have been many, ex- with the exception that the vast majority, the dozens that have happened in the past 10 years in the US, the terror plots, none of them came to fruition. They were stopped and the terrorists were put in jail. This one was exactly the same, probably followed exactly the same uh, procedure, with the exception that they decided to go ahead and allow the bomb to explode. Um, they did exactly the same thing in 1993 with the first World Trade Center bombing. Uh, that's on the record, if anybody wants to check, Dan Rather reported on it and says that the FBI had followed the plot all the way along and had the opportunity to stop it, but decided not to. Because it wasn't the terrorists who were doing it. It was some faction of the U.S. government or intel agencies' plot all along. That's why it went ahead. And the same thing applies to the Boston Marathon. And the sad thing is, is that people died, although Jason might disagree with me. That it's sad that they died? Yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, in a certain sense, I've kind of run out of sadness for people because so many people die all the time. Well, that's one of the points, kind yeah. Of become numb, but not like in normal people, you know? No. Everyone going around, they, they get numb, so they stop caring about people dying. I still care. Yeah, but you but, just can't. Uh, I have very little give a shit left, you know? Yeah, because Because, it's... you know, everybody's dying everywhere. It's like, you know, how am I... You know, I as an empathetic person, I kind of like, it's like, what, what the hell am I going to do? I can't see, you know, this death over here being more important than this death over here. I'm looking yeah. I'm like, well, shit, both of them suck. Mm-hmm. You know, what am I going to do? Yeah, I got, I got, I got given some abuse, like I was saying on Facebook, over my initial comments on Facebook about the, the Boston bombing, you know, uh, saying that, you know, basically this was to be expected and people... It was going to happen again, and you know, but I was talking from a context of my understanding of the broader context in, in which it was placed. But the people who were responding to me weren't; they were just having the empathy that was being sucked out of them or elicited from them by the mainstream media, and they had just temporary empathy with oh, the poor people in Boston, and I shouldn't be saying these the thing things. The thing is, is they think that that's the way they're supposed to act. They've been they've been conditioned to think that that's what empathy is, because most of them, probably the people who were going after you, were probably a little bit sick. Well, I hope not. You know, I mean, I think most of them probably were, you know, because no, I think they were the average person. Nah, they're just fake. You know, you it's know? just it's provoked in them, you know, uh, on a temporary basis, and it's selective empathy. It's, it's exactly it's selective <clears throat> empathy. That's what was going on, and and like I was coming from your, the same perspective as you, which is that like, I'm looking at this thing every day and have been for the past ten years, and at some point you just have to st- step back and take the broad perspective because you can't if you were to go and get invested emotionally in every single death in this planet. You wouldn't be able to operate. You'd go crazy. You know I mean? You'd go crazy. So you have to step back, and you have to try and spread the truth a little bit about what to, to, about what's going on and why it's happening to the people who are still listening. I mean, you got to serve some kind of try and serve some kind of purpose or some kind of role. Otherwise, you say nothing. And I mean, most of these people who are giving me shit about it were were doing nothing except when it's provoked in them because of the mainstream media. Right. Yeah. And then they go back There's to sleep again. Fair weather. Fairweather cares. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they only they yeah. only care when it's you know they're, they're they, you know they're they're fashionably sensitive. Yeah, exactly. Fashionably yeah. Sensitive.
Yeah, professionally. Everybody else is doing it, so sure should I. Yeah, you know, I'm. We're supposed to. Be, we're supposed to be all up in arms about the shit. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I come from a different era, not from the this era that exists now. I don't understand it. I don't understand people today. You mean you're from the future? No, I'm from <laughs> the '90s. You know, I'm from the days of Tupac and fuck the police and. Would the would. Uh, you know, and, and, and the war on drugs and, and the government's evil and Bill Clinton and all this different stuff. You know, I'm from that era. I'm from the era where you, you know, were harassed constantly by the police and they were giving you tickets for like skateboarding on the on the sidewalks and stuff like that. I'm I'm from the time when police were seen as 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 pigs and, and a nuisance and, and fascists, you know. And so I don't understand this new world where everybody's, you know getting down on their knees to, you know, slob on the knob of every police officer that they meet. You know, I just don't understand it because I look at them, I see a fascist, you know, because that's from, that's the era that I grew up in. It was, you know, yeah. all, you know, yeah. they, they, they arrested Tupac. What's going on here? You know, type of thing, you know? Yeah. So I'm from a different time where there was no real terrorism. There was none of this stuff. It didn't exist when I was a teenager. I mean, mm-hmm. I had never really heard of it. I mean, nobody... Until the nineteen, what was it? Into the the first World Trade Center bombing. I mean, I didn't even really think about the concept at all. And so now you have this new world of all these people, and I don't understand it, and I can't get involved in it, and I can't, I can't feel like I don't understand these people, so I can't really empathize too much with them because I see them as basically like they created their own problem, and for me, the government is the one doing it. And then they're getting all weepy-eyed and stuff like that. Oh, this is a terrible tragedy. Oh, my God. I couldn't play Angry Birds at night. I have to tweet this. You know, I don't understand <laughs> these people, you know. I don't use Facebook. I don't use Twitter. I don't have any emotional or intellectual investment in any of the culture today because it's just not mine, man. My my world ended on on September 11th, and that's, you know, I, I think that's, better, whatever. I think that's true for a lot of people, for most people. Pretty much everybody on the planet, um, not, even even if they don't know it. I'm not too interested in participating in this new world, you know. I mean, I just well, there's not much on offer, you know. No, I mean it's really not very fun. So, well, we kind of wrapped up already. Um, yeah, false flag, Boston. The evidence is there. It fits into a context. Um, unfortunately, one, one last thing to ponder. Speak more. Did they choose the date? With the anniversary of all these other things in mind, Oklahoma City bombing, uh, Waco, probably Tax Day, Patriots Day, April 15th. How many people were aware of those things? Probably none. People don't know when those anniversaries are. They don't know Patriots Day. Well, maybe I a few people do. I think guys are a little superstitious, though. Maybe they think I think it's an in thing yeah, with them. It's like an inside joke. <laughs> yeah. April again, time for fake terror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's pretty pathetic thinking about how people behind this. It's so like I was just ranting the other night actually to Neil about just the, the the idea behind it. It's not even I'm not even impressed by it. You know, no. it's so pathetic. What's their ideology? The, the people who put this together say we want to control people. Yeah, okay. Well, why? Well, just because we want to control people, so we're going to blow some up. <laughs> I mean, it's they, almost they like okay, they're inte- they're intelligent. That's the thing. There's a contrast there between they're obviously devious and cunning in an evil way so they're not stupid but their ideology is beyond contempt for me it's like retarded it's completely retarded the only thing they want is to control it they look at the planet and they see people and they say we've got to control these people we've got to just squeeze them and terrorize them and get them to do stuff that we want them to do well why well just because because that's what we want and it's like dude 
what is wrong with you? You're retarded. Go and get a job. Go and get a proper job and go and live your life. You've only yeah. got three score years and ten. What is wrong with you? you <laughs> yeah, I mean, get over it. Get over it. I mean, oh no, but I want to control people. Fucking oh, assholes. The <laughs> if the world had to be the way that it was, that it is, right? And let's just say, pretend for a moment, let's slice away reality on both sides and pretend that the world had to be this way, right? I still wouldn't want these fuckers charged for this reason and this reason only because they are so incompetently and artful at it. You know, I can respect the work of an artist. All right. Even if they're evil, a totally evil artist, I could respect them. I could say, well, you know what? At least you take pride in your mass murder. I could say, okay, hold on a second here. You know, at least you're making an effort. But these people aren't even making an effort. You know, I mean, I'm terrified to leave the world in their hands because they're so arbitrary and childish and puerile about everything. Yeah. You know, no one's safe from these people. I mean, if they were saying, like, look, it has to be this way. We have to have these fake terrorists. And they have these reasons. And they gave a reasoned argument. I would say at least you thought this through. Yeah. That's, that's where we can work from because you have some capacity for reason. Therefore, we can work with this and yeah. try to change your mind. But, but no, you can't. It's just mindless ignorance and stupidity and, and, and just – it's just – Blind, destructive principle, and they're not even. They need to be. They're like the plague. They need to be avoided, like the plague. I mean, yeah. if, if you saw somebody like that around, you'd just be like, dig a hole and put that person in quick, you know, or, or shoot him into space out of a cannon, quick, you know. I mean, into the sun. Yeah, into the sun. Because seriously, those people. And, and the sad thing is, is that they're they have somehow got into positions of power over over the rest of us. And and although power, in a technically, but the only power they have is to the extent that you actually believe their bullshit and ascribe to their ridiculous notions of control and domination well, and we yeah. must control people. Just I mean, from a certain perspective, you know, trying to take over and control the world is really a great undertaking and it's, you know, it's kind of like a, a manly thing to do. If you've got a plan. If you've got a plan, it's okay. It's like at least you have a plan. <laughs> But with these people, and the problem is with America, to a certain extent, I wouldn't want to take over the world. The world of today, I would not want to rule it. Like if somebody said, here, you can rule the world and say, like, no thanks. I mean, these people, these clowns, no. I mean, people are just so willfully ignorant some of the times that it does drive me nuts. Yeah, willfully ignorant. Anyway, someone up. Again, for the third time, we need to go. we're going to go soon, but summing up for the third time, yeah, I mean, obviously, people know already, we've laid it out what it is, and unfortunately, it's to be expected that it's going to happen again, And but also keep your eyes in the skies, because there's a lot of stuff happening up there, and um, it's going to be interesting, so we hope you can join us again next week. Thanks for <clears throat> listening in this week. We hope you enjoyed it. And thanks to all our callers. And thanks to all our callers. Um, Same time next week. Same time next week.